It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Saturday Session with Daniel McCarty on SENZ. Good morning to you and welcome to the Saturday session, the 18th day of February for 2023. Stephen McIver and for Daniel McCarty. Daniel's on uh, Talk Sport. Is it Talk Sport England duty uh, for the test on day three at the Bay Oval? We'll have more on that before 11 o'clock this morning. Ben Francis in the house. Morning, Big Ben. How are you, buddy? Yeah, not bad, mate. Very good. Very well. Okay, now let's now let's take the mask off and go back a couple of weeks. And you were and your beautiful girl were uh, sort of amongst the floods. Tree falls on the house. How was everything? Oh, things are better than it was at the start of the week. But yeah, yeah had a big tree, nice tree fall on the on the house, damaged the roof, caused a big leak, flooded the the downstairs. So new carpet on the way, a whole lot of furniture being thrown out. No. No power for a few days, so everything in the fridge freezer chucked oh, out. So, can you can you explain in just honest terms what is it like to deal with no power in this modern world? Do you suddenly find yourself feeling a little bit helpless? Well, to an extent, but it's you kind of just I guess it's one of those privileged things, you know. You kind of and you just kind of realize little things that you do. You might always pick up your phone, look at your phone. You can't do that because you know you're trying to conserve. Uh, mm-hmm. your, your battery and things like that. But we also had a tree fall on our street as well, so we couldn't get out, took out the power lines. So, yeah, we were stuck for a few days. So it was it was quite daunting, and especially when the winds were picking up and you could hear branches breaking, you're kind of thinking, is this the one that's going to smash the roof for good? But, oh, yeah, a few sleep. There's been very little sleep this week. But uh, okay. well, I haven't been, haven't been here, but I'm back. So. Well, it's nice to have you back and nice to know that you're safe. But to those of you that are, are still struggling and you're listening to SENZ around New Zealand, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you. And we're hoping and we'd like to hope that uh, things are on the up, but it's going to be a long, long recovery, is it not? Uh, all righty, let's, uh, just to remind, if you've got anything to talk to us about today, uh, the Timber Bedpost text line is double eight double three, or you can call us on 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. All right, three hours of sport and lots to look forward to. Andrew Mulligan will be talking to us about how game three is needed now. Tomorrow night, six o'clock at Spark Arena. Breakers, jack jumpers, who will go into the NBL Grand Final? And the other side of the equation as well, you've got the Sydney Kings and the Cairns Taipans going to three as well. So it's going down to the wire to try and find the two grand finalists in the ANBL, but it's certainly wonderful basketball to look forward to. Sale GP is in Sydney this weekend. New Zealand are actually only five points behind, uh, gosh, Australia. Tom Slingsby's crew and those F50s, Flyers. 
they're a real chance to go all the way to the San Francisco showdown, a winner takes all. But just a reminder about that, after Sydney, they go to Littleton and Christchurch for the very first time. We're going to talk to Mr. Sal GP in this part of the world, Carl Budge, about uh, how things are going and looking forward to the Christchurch round, remembering that the New Zealand team are on a new boat because in Singapore, they got hit by lightning. Yep, it got hit by lightning, so they've got Canada's old boat, and Canada have a new boat. The thing you need to understand about Sal GP and those boats is they're all they're a one-make model. They'll just have their own little quirks, but that's what's going on. So we'll talk to Carl Budge about 11.15, Andrew Mulligan around 11.30 this morning. Also after midday today, New Zealand Warriors assistant... Justin Morgan, because they play the Melbourne Storm tomorrow, live at 2.50 on Sky Sport at Orange Theory Stadium in Christchurch. They may have been given a slight leg up. The Melbourne Storm having missed a flight or a flight being cancelled, so they've, they've come in late. So they arrived, I think, yesterday or today. And did you realise, Ben, I did not know this, but they're finally going to have a New Zealand over 40s Cricket World Cup soon. And there's a little trans-Tasman ding-dong going on this weekend and coming up between New Zealand and Australia. I mean, why not have an over 50s? They've got an over 50s, haven't they? Yeah, so the over 50s had a tournament last year. There are quite a few former New Zealand players in there. I think they won a series. I think it was them, Australia, and it might have been a West Indies or Sri mm-hmm. Lankan team. They did it in Australia, and I'm pretty sure New Zealand came out victorious in that. Mm-hmm. All righty. So uh, that, we'll talk to Hamish Marshall, one of the Marshall brothers. He and brother James are selected in the New Zealand over 40s cricket side. Damn it, over 40s, and I'm over 50. Damn, just makes you feel a little bit older when you hear over 40s and you know you've just gone past that and well past it. Anyway, let's just update you with what's been happening overnight. Some of the key headlines that we will uh, keep you in touch with in the last 24 hours. So the Wellington Phoenix, their season has been reinvigorated, and they and they needed to, but they absolutely slammed Western United in Tasmania last night, 3-0. Uh, goals from Jan Sase, Bozidar Krajev, in either half, they gave him a comfortable two-goal buffer. And then Oscar Zawada converted from a spot kick. That snapped a three-game winless run. I think the other thing to read into that was they've been struggling from the spot, haven't they? The, the Phoenix somewhat. They were making it a big deal when I was reading about the fact that they got a spot kick. Yeah, well, they've also been struggling to really kick on after taking leads in games, so I guess that's another positive sign. Now, I know they are back on Friday against the Central Coast Mariners, Alrighty, uh, that's uh, coming up. And now they're sitting in second position. Most importantly, and I think this is the other thing to understand, that win came at a critical time because you need to be in the top six. They were sitting in sixth. They've, they've nipped up to fifth now. So if they can roll this form on now, uh, they will certainly uh, put themselves in the finals. Uh, the, the game against the Central Coast, by the way, is the fourth. Did you know this? It's the fourth game in a row that they've been on the road. And you, you start to sort of feel, for again, this whole argument of being a New Zealand-based team in Australian competition, what these teams work against, the constant travel. Do you, I mean, do you buy into it? Do you buy into the fact that it, it is a factor in how teams roll? Yeah, I think the NRL did an article one year. I think one season the Warriors had to travel was at fifty five thousand kilometers, and then I think I think it was like the Sharks or the Panthers. They had a, they had less than ten thousand kilometers travel for the season. Which do, do you think would that might, Do you think Ben that might have been happening in Super League era when you had to go to Perth? Do you think that was the year they had, when they had to travel to Perth and Adelaide and the likes? And no, th- this was a, like this was I think this was pre COVID. Like just on might have been twenty nineteen season. Pre what? Pre what? <laughs> 
Hush your mouth. <laughs> Hush your mouth. Sorry, swearing on the radio. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, look, travel is a fact. I still remember going back to the day when the Warriors were early in the piece and they made a big deal early in their career as a club about travel. And I think I've told you the story about the day Manly and Parramatta played and Ropo and I were talking about footy. We ended up talking about them taking their pillows on tour because they wanted some sense of normality. So players would take their own damn pillow on tour just to feel comfortable. Uh, in other football news, look, I don't want to be you know negative here, but if you're a football fern fan with the FIFA Women's World Cup coming around, your confidence levels wouldn't be flash. They lost 5-0, 5-0 to Portugal uh, in Hamilton overnight. That's the first of three friendlies they've got set up because there is a qualifying tournament going on at the moment around New Zealand for the final three spots. I'll find that shortly because it's interesting to talk about. Let's just quickly look at this result here. 5-0, outplayed, outclassed, outthought, outfought. Uh, <laughs> some are saying the worst performance of Yitika Kim Clover's tenure as the manager. And by the way, Portugal, who are ranked 22, Football Ferns 24, but Portugal didn't field their best team, nor, get this, nor have they qualified for the World Cup. Now, the Ferns have got a game on Monday against Argentina, and Portugal are one of 10 sides fighting for these three remaining spots. So while we're at that, this is what you need to know. Right, 10 teams from the game's six regional confederations are in Auckland and Hamilton this week to have a crack at those final three spots. So who's playing? Well, Chinese Taipei and Thailand, right, from the Asian Cup region. Cameroon and Senegal, that's two plus two is four. Haiti and Panama from CONCACAF. Paraguay and Chile. Papua New Guinea and Portugal. Now, of those teams, Cameroon, Chile, Chinese Taipei and Thailand have played and qualified before. So how is it all working? So Group A. Cameroon will play Thailand at 7 tonight at Waikato Stadium to determine who plays Portugal at 7.30 on Wednesday for a spot in the World Cup. So, right, the, the encouraging thing here for Portugal, they know they're one game away from one of those three spots. Group B, Senegal will play Haiti at 2 o'clock today at North Harbour to determine who plays Chile at 2 o'clock on Wednesday for the second of three spots. And then Chinese Taipei will play Paraguay at 2 on Sunday at Waikato Stadium, while Papua New Guinea will play Panama at 7 on Sunday at North Harbour. The difference here is the winner of both those matches will then play at 2 o'clock on Thursday at Waikato Stadium to determine the final qualifier for the World Cup. So there you go. That's what's going on. How about that, hey? So when you thought it was all done and dust, and this is the really encouraging thing about the FIFA Women's World Cup, uh, Ben, is this lots of footy now being played in front of us, and it's all international football. And I think that's probably the part of the thing that just gets you a little bit excited, does it not? Oh, totally, especially when we're probably going to see some of these teams again later this year as well. And it, I, the fact they're doing these tournaments here, you might get, be a bit more familiar with some of these players as well. Alrighty, so uh, righty, so let's just remind you too. In Super Rugby preseason, that's all done and dusted. The Chiefs and Hurricanes and Highlanders all had preseason wins. Chiefs beat the Blues forty-seven thirty-three. Hurricanes ensured the Crusaders. The Crusaders 
had a winless preseason. 31-26. Do you read anything into that? Like I always say, read nothing, read nothing into preseason. But if you're a Crusaders fan who are so passionate about their rugby, you'd be a little nervous, right? If you're, you know, from that part of the world, would you not? 31-26, 75 points, you know. No, you're not going to buy into that one, okay. And the Highlanders uh, beat Moana Pacifica 33-24. So those are some of the results and things that have been happening overnight. What, have you got anything to add to this at this particular point in time, Ben? The uh, only thing I would say <laughs> to that about preseason is that the, that rule does not apply unless, or if you're a Warriors fan, you always read into the preseason results. Oh, now see that's harsh, <laughs> and that's and that is uncalled for, and I don't want you speaking like that again. Okay, about no, the I, great game of rugby league. I, no, I'm saying that I'm saying the result. It's giving me hope, hope for the season. You said, but oh, so you are reading something to the oh, so yeah, you're sorry, reading. sorry, I got my yeah, words jumbled up. Yeah, right, okay, but they played the the, the Tigers a couple of weeks Thursdays back, and that, look, the Tigers outfit was not full strength, not full strength at all. Although they have encouraging news overnight, Adam Dewey, the young five eighth who was in, injured for the last part of the season, he's re-signed until twenty twenty four. So now the big talk about that team is, uh, will they? eventually sign Mitchell Moses because they want him to come home and link up with either Luke Brooks or Adam Dewey. And they are throwing the bank at him. They're saying over, what is it, four or five years? Something I like think that. they got off the five-year deal on the board. Five years, so the $6.25 million over yeah. five. So I worked that one out for yourself, well over a million dollars. About Parramatta look good the other night. We'll talk rugby league and what happened overnight a little bit later on with uh, Justin Morgan. It's 10.14. Uh, I think it's time to we have a talk about the workhorse of the week. Do you have to play something here? Okay, brought to you by Mitis Agri-Tires, the choice of leading manufacturers. I'm going to let you go on this one for the workhorse of the week and why. Look, usually our workhorse of the week is someone involved in sport, but I think you can't really look past our first responders no. uh, this week. And, you know, there's even former athletes that are a part of the first responders unit as well. Uh, Steve Devine, who's the host of our Blue Brothers show, yeah. he's down in the Hawks Bay at the moment. Is he? Assisting. So wow. we've got guys down there. And some of these people as well are volunteers, and they've been you know putting in some extreme hard yards from up north down to Hawks Bay, Gisborne area. So I, I don't think you can really look past it. No, I agree with you on this one. And, and when you start talking about you know your own situation, our good friend Mark Watson, uh, is uh, Mark should have been doing the show today. That's why I'm here. But uh, Mark, sadly, has a house in Mudawai, which we understand has got the wrong sticker color on it. But it's one of many. And I think when you start, like I've got friends in the Hawke's Bay. Uh, they haven't, they've come out of it okay, not as badly as many in the Hawke's Bay. And... Uh, and I think the hard thing to understand, I spoke to Greg Murphy about this because uh, Murph took some footage which I shared on my Instagram profile from a helicopter and the, the scale of the devastation is unbelievable. And what he said to me was quite interesting. He said, everybody had been talking about the floods in Auckland and up north and quite, quite rightly so. But he said, because communication was shut down, nobody, nobody had an idea of what actually was going on in the Hawks Bay. He said, quote, we were like an island with no outside control, no outside connection. And he said it was pretty scary. Uh, on Fry Thursday, he said once they opened a road up, they were able to get access in through Havelock. Uh, 
he said there was just a gridlock of people want to get out. And he, he was saying it is years and years and years and years and years in the rebuild, which is, and the last time we talked about the word rebuild was in Christchurch with the earthquake, right? And it's it's devastating. And the only thing you can sort of suggest is to people, I know Stuff, the website, have been running a, a donation campaign. Uh, we spoke to the brown butter bean on Thursday as well, and I said, "Mate, what do you what do you you know? I know what you're like. What are you going to do?" And he said, and then I saw uh, yesterday he'd he'd reached out to with through his pack and save contacts to a pack and save contact in Hastings, and so they were now going to start. And he said, "I'm I'm just putting ten grand on the line from uh, the funds that I get, and we're going to start buying parcels and food parcels, and the generosity and the neighbourly help that's going around." Uh, is stunning, but that's what you do, right? That's what happens, and uh, we roll on from that. So the work horses of the week go to our beautiful first responders and also to the neighbours looking after neighbours and making sure that everyone's all right. You know, you've been in this situation, and I'm glad that everything's worked out for you because we don't want any of our friends suffering this. But I wonder, has it made you rethink? And this is, you know, these are all the questions that are now being asked. Has it made you rethink about where you live? Oh, look, it makes you think about a lot of things, and it's just—it's kind of just about little things like insurance. You know, being young, I don't have contents insurance, so ouch. So it's kind of like things like that. So okay, I'm thinking, do we have to re-budget and, yeah. and try to get some contents insurance? Lots of the stuff we had wasn't really expensive stuff anyway, so like we can live with it. But it's more about just trying to invest in other things, and so there's, so there's definitely lots to think about from this. But as I say, it's nothing compared to the scale of other parts of the country. I'm very thankful, but yeah, it's even if you if it impacted just a little bit or lots, it's still hard regardless. It does make you think about people's resolve, doesn't you? After two years of that thing called COVID and how people's resolve is, you know, at, at a limit, at a, at, a, at a stretching point. So if you've got some stories that you'd like to say to try and be a little more uplifting, because I don't want to bring it down here on the Saturday session because there's so much sport to talk about, feel free to call us on 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. Or you can text on the Temper Bed Post text line, which is 8833. But the workhorse of the week is brought to you by Midas Agri-Tires, made in Europe and trusted by leading equipment manufacturers worldwide. European quality does not have to break the bank. Just ask for Midas Agri-Tires for your equipment. Steven, Steven, Steven. Steven, 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 Steven. Steven. That's me. Steven. <laughs> Steven, 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 Steven. Yeah, Steven McIver and for Daniel McCarty this edition of the Saturday session. Oh, Ben Francis, where, who is that? So this, this is a guy called Matt Farley, and yeah. he, if you go, if you look him up, he literally just has all these songs, and they're all, all the exact same, and he just sings random people's names, and... We, I first played him on the show last year for Daniel and Grant, and we actually, and they actually spoke to him last year uh, on the show about like why he just comes up with stuff like this and things like that. And I thought you haven't been on in a while. I thought would give you would give you the name song <laughs> treatment. I, I am flattered. I am flattered that you actually also remember that it's Stephen uh, and not Steve. All right, we're going to talk cricket shortly. Uh, we're going to be talking to. Uh, 
Talk Sports' John Norman about the this first test of two being played between the Black Caps and England, this one being played at the Bay Oval. Uh, New Zealand are back in the hunt. Let me just remind you, 325 for nine declared on the first day by England. Bold declaration, but they are not... Uh, it's not unusual for them. New Zealand all out 306 at the end of yesterday and England finishing at 79 for two. Uh, overall lead by England is 98 runs, but the the key part of the, it could be the saving grace in this pink ball test, is Tom Blunder with his fourth test ton. 138 of 181 balls, 19 fours, and one six. It was part of a 75-run partnership with Devin Conway, who smacked 77 around the Bay Oval. Uh, this is what Tom Blundell had to say about the ton and also the contribution of the likes of Blair Tickner at the tail end. For me, it's all about just trusting trusting my game. Um, the, the older you get, the more trust you know sort of comes, comes your way. But... Um, you know, I, th- I think it took a lot of confidence from it, what happened last year in England. You know, doing doing well against them, and you know, obviously faced them before, and just being able to trust that really. Um, I thought I thought he did bloody well, to be honest. Um, you know, this chat before he's done in domestic cricket, I think he's like faced 100 balls in one game, so definitely had the faith along the way. But um, I was just telling him just line up nice and straight, and you know, for him to do that um, was was bloody was bloody amazing. Um, you know, to help me out, and you know, kudos go to goes to him. Yeah, Blair ticked to 59, and also. Uh Cougar line, 53. So pretty good efforts from tail enders. Now, Ollie Robinson was probably the best of the bowlers for England. He took four, but does not like the pink ball. First of the ball, balls, you need some of these pink balls be useless. You think you're happy right now? Not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're good when they're new, but as soon as they get to 30, 40 years old, you can't shine them, you can't sort of keep them moving. It feels very much in the batter's favour. Um, so, yeah, still not a fan. Yeah, I think you just got to be adaptable with it. Um, we went short for a little bit after after the first session, um, but I think you can go two ways. You can try and be really aggressive and sometimes leak runs, or you can try and go dry and sort of pick up one or two here or there. Um, we had spells of both of that today. Sometimes the spin can come into play as well, but it's just being adaptable and trying to pick up wickets where you can. Ollie Robinson gets four, so England with an overall lead going to day three of 98 runs. We're going to dive a little bit deeper in shortly when we talk to Talk Sports' John Norman here on the Saturday session on SENZ. 10.32 on SENZ around New Zealand, either on the app or the SEN app in Australia. G'day to our good mate Jason and Murilabark in Melbourne. Warriors fan, good on you, good on you, matey. Uh, on the Timber Bedpost text line, uh, Rob's just jumped in and said, hey, Stephen, New Zealand haven't won a test series for nearly two years, haven't even won a test for over a year. Having Wagner running like Tarzan and bowl like Jay <laughs> is one major reason why the New Zealand bowlers cannot take 20 test wickets. <laughs> okay, well, let's just remind you before we get uh, John Norman on from Talks, but what the car- scorecards look like. So England batting first, uh, Zach Crawley. Uh, Court Bracewell bowled Southey for four. Ben Duckett, Court Bracewell bowled Tickner for 84. Ollie Pope, Court Latham bowled Southey 42. Uh, Root, uh, Court Mitchell bowled Wagner 14. Harry Brook bowled Wagner for 89. 
Uh, that was the, the most biggest contribution from the batting lineup. Ben Stokes, the skipper, caught Latham Bold Kugline 19. Folks caught Williamson Bold Wagner 38. Stuart Broad caught Conway Bold Kugline 2. And uh, Jack Leach caught Latham Bold Wagner 1. Not out was Ollie Robinson, who took 4 for it when it mattered. Uh, 15. John Robinson, excuse me, John Norman from Talk, Talk Sport is about to talk cricket on what we like to unofficially call swinging both ways. Good morning to you, sir. Oh, good morning to you, and uh, uh, yes, another beautiful morning here at the Mount. Well, the, obviously, with uh, the cyclone that was affecting New Zealand, is far more important things than cricket. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're uh, it's all cleared, and uh, uh, we're ready for uh, for another exciting day of Test cricket. So let's talk about attitude. Let's talk about the England attitude mm. in that first innings. Three twenty-five for nine declared, an unsurprising declaration for you. No, I was surprised. Um, I didn't see it coming. I was kind of rubbing my eyes a little bit up in the commentary box at the Mount, uh, at the Tauranga end, uh, when uh, Ollie Robinson started herring off the pitch because, of course, it uh, it wasn't him who was out. But uh, him and Jack Leach departed. Um, but Mike Atherton, former England captain, on commentary duty as part of the Talksport coverage, said no, he, he didn't. Uh, wasn't surprised at all. Um, and of course, vindicated by. The fact that New Zealand lost three wickets and should have actually lost four if uh, Zach Crawley hadn't dropped uh, Devon Conway, then you know we we could be looking at a three-day game, couldn't we? But um, but yeah, this is how the England team. I mean, I'm not sure if you heard Ben Stokes at the toss. So of course Tim Southey won the toss, decided to bowl first, and when our uh, our reporter Sam Ellard spoke to Ben on the field, he said, "Well, what would you have done?" And Ben Stokes said, "Well, I don't know. I was kind of just going to make it up as a, as a, you know if I won." He, and that's just kind of where we are with this England cricket team these days. It's, uh, it's baffling, but it's also hugely entertaining. So what are the purists saying about this new approach from the England Test team? Like, as you say, baffling, but hugely entertaining. Are you a purist or are you buying into what you have heard over and over again is Bazball? Well, I, you know, one of the questions I asked on, uh, on air on day one was, you know, when, when were you converted, you know, when did you stop saying, oh, well, it's all going to come, you know, does it get, go disastrously wrong? Because that's kind of how it's been. You know, the first series was against New Zealand and England got past that. And then it was like, well, they're not going to do it against their Jasper Boomer and Mohamed Shami. And they did. And then it was, like, oh, well, they're not going to do it against Rabada and Nokia against the visiting South Africans. They did. And then it was like, oh, well, they're not going to be able to do it in Pakistan. They did. Now, I think everyone's bought into it. Um, there are moments, though, Joe Root's dismissal in the first innings, you know, I think that kind of polarises opinion. I think that uh, some people feel that it was an unnecessary risk and that he doesn't need to change his game. And I do believe that. That's kind of where I sit with it. But you can't argue with the results. And at the end of the day, I've been watching and reporting on the England cricket team for the last three or four, well, a long time, 10 years. But yeah. over the last three years, it's essentially been Joe Root against the world. Joe Root, Joe Root playing yep. correctly and scoring hundreds and the rest of them falling, falling over in a heap. And so, you know, what would you rather have? Joe Root playing correctly and England losing or Joe Root reverse scooping uh, a, a fast bowler and picking out the lone slip fielder and departing cheaply, but England winning? Hey, so here's, here's something for me, because we know how critical uh, the British press can be. And if you start losing, they're going to hammer you and hang you out to dry. Do you believe it's a revolution for Test cricket that Brendan McCullum is trying to achieve here to say, 
if everybody buys into this one idea, this idea of, of a proper team environment and, and backing your own ability and willing to accept that sometime it's not going to work, do you think that is something that will go forward and other teams will look at? That's a really good question, and I, I'm not sure I know the answer. I think that publicly, no. You know, Dean Elgar, the former South African test skipper, Temba Bavum has been announced as his replacement uh, over in South Africa overnight. He was very sniffy about baseball. I can't quite see Gary Stead, um, uh, you know, <laughs> adopting similar kind of like tactics with, uh, with your New Zealand side. India are way too proud to follow anybody's lead. And uh, I think Australia are just eyeing up the ashes later this year, although they've got their own problems in India themselves. And, you know, Australia, the way Australia go about the cricket is, has always been different from England. So I, I don't think so, but who knows? Um, Certainly not publicly. I don't think people are going to come out and go, yeah, we're going to follow England's lead here. But if it's successful, and if England continue to win games as frequently as they do, and crucially, if they win the Ashes this year, then uh, behind the scenes, and yeah, you may well see a, a very quiet revolution take place. And to be honest, the game might be better for it if it happens. Ah, now you opened the door there, didn't you, by saying the game might be better for it. Do you think prior to this, Test cricket was looking a little glum and, and turning people off? Well, yes, I think it can do. I, I mean, look, if you look at the game as a whole, um, you will always be able to pick out passages of play or decision-making decision on the field, which you know, doesn't really bear scrutiny against some more exciting uh, sports. But then you flip it around and, you know, the the, the game that we love um, you can more, you know, more than stand up um, along any other, any other sport. But, you know, these are changing times. I think really the question is, um, you know, it's, is, is Brendan McCullum and is this way of uh, playing, is it moving the game forward? Is it asking new questions? Is it, is it uh, making us rethink the format? And I think you have to answer yes to all of that. Now, do you really want every single team to go out there and start bludgeoning the ball from day one and three-day tests? Well, no, you don't. But I think there's more to this England side than that. And if you looked at some of the successes that England have enjoyed over the last 12 months, there have been periods of play where they've played proper test cricket. Um, you know, they've, they've realised that the... The, the, the ball was dominating and the batters have responded accordingly. And then when it's come around to, you know, to, to trying to get back on the front foot, they flicked a switch and they've gone there. So, you know, Baz Ball um, isn't quite, you know, the all singing, all dancing <laughs> style of cricket that maybe we, we suggest. There is nuance to it. Um, and you always want nuance yeah, I, I, in, any, in whatever you do. Com completely. I think the, the key word also for people looking at will be, is it a sustainable style of cricket? Well, it's sustainable if England are, only, are wrapping up wins inside three or four days. You know, it's, it's sustainable if England have got players coming into the side who perform immediately. And this, this is a key point which maybe isn't addressed enough. Now, I might mention the fact that I've been following a lot of England cricket. And, you know, when it comes to batting, I can't think of too many batters who've come into that side and flourished uh, since Joe Root made his debut um, back in, what, 2012. Now, why is that? I would suggest it's not because of lack of technique or character or ticker or anything or the quality of the opposition. I think it's down to pressure. I think it's the pressure of the occasion of coming to bat for England. Now, since Brendan McCullum has come in, not only have England uh, performed extraordinarily well and seen an upturn in the fortunes of those players that were already in the side, 
they've seen players like Ben Duckett come in and succeed straight away. Um, they've seen um, players like Harry Brook come in and succeed straight away. And uh, they've seen existing players like Johnny Bairstow, whose test career looked uh, like it might be over on two or three occasions under Joe Root, come in and essentially play as well as he's ever played in any format ever. Um, added to that is, uh, you know, Ollie Pope. Um, and of course, Joe Root himself, who might have, might, people are kind of feeling that Joe Root's not doing so well under Stokes. He's still averaging 50. So, so what's happened is, is that the, suddenly the England setup is a much more relaxed place to be. Um, and if you look at some of the, the bowlers who've come in, Jamie Overton, uh, Matthew Potts, uh, to name just two, Will Jacks, these guys have come in and immediately started performing on the, uh, on the international uh, stage. So, it is sustainable because England have got, you know, five or six fast bowlers ready to come in. And they've got, oh, well, they've got four bowlers playing and then two or three to come in. And they've also got batters to come in. So um, everybody wants in to this side. It seemed at times under Joe Root, and it wasn't just his fault, you know, playing for England during the COVID years was incredibly uh, stressful and really damaging mentally. Yeah. Um, but at times it seemed like everybody wanted out of the cricket team. And now it seems like everybody wants it. Yeah, we all want the golden ticket. You'd have to suggest, though, that the instrumental individual in all of this is actually not just Brendan McCullum, but Ben Stokes. And the relationship that whereby McCullum has allowed Ben Stokes to flourish as a leader, and that's rubbing off on everybody. Oh, without a doubt, I'm sure it'd be quite as possible um, to achieve what Brendan McCullum has achieved without a captain like Ben Stokes, who's He's um he's just I mean I can't think of too many uh, people who um seem to have seem to have changed so quickly um you know Ben Stokes has faced some real hardship and some really difficult times in his life over the last couple of years you know I don't need to go through them I think they're well documented yeah. but the Ben Stokes I see on the field now and I see walking around and you know it's one of the the, the great things about uh, life on tour you get to mix with these guys not. You know, not socially, but you see them uh, here, here and there. And he just, from from my perspective, he seems to be a man at peace with himself, at peace with the world, at peace with the balance and the importance, uh, you know, that he puts on cricket and its relationship with uh, the other parts of his life. And there's a kind of understanding there that, you know, this is how we're going to go about it. We're not going to change. And you either, you know, you you basically, you know, you either you either join us or you're left behind, um, and you know he's he doesn't really care one way or the other. It's it's very refreshing to see. All right, we should probably talk about the test itself. Uh, when does it finish? I mean, the lead is 98 runs by England. They are currently at 79 for two. It's another fine day at the Bay Oval. Does this go all the way? To this is this a five day or do you see it finishing early? I do finish, I do see it finishing early. Um, and one thing I will say about New Zealand is that is that they have they have fought all the way you know I, I don't think England batted particularly well in first innings I'm not I, and I don't I certainly don't think that New Zealand have bowled well um, in either innings I, I think New Zealand got a bit of a problem with Neil Wagner um, and uh, obviously you know two debutants you know it's it's been tough for them and and essentially a spinner who doesn't he doesn't bowl that the makeup of the side needs to be corrected for Wellington now, whether New Zealand go there 1-0 down or 1-0 up, um, I think an England win is still favourite. But 
but they fought. You know, they fought all day yesterday, New Zealand. They were 83 for five. They were 180 off for seven. And they got within 19 runs of England's first inning score. And if you keep clinging on, if you keep doing the right things, you are going to have a period where you're going to have a chance. Um, you know, and they do have a chance. And if they can get wickets in this first session, you know, an inspired spell by Salvi, a, a brilliant bit of fielding, um, then who knows? But I think what's more likely is with the makeup of your bowling attack being as it is, I struggle to see England getting bowled out. Um, um, so the decision will be, when do they declare? Because I imagine what will happen is, is that England will bat up until about 7 o'clock tonight. They'll have a lead of about 450 by that point, And then they're going to have a bowl. So, um, you know, that's going to be incredibly difficult for New Zealand's batters again. And so I imagine if that is the case, and that is how it pans out, you know, it's, could it be an England <laughs> wrapping up victory just after tea on day four? I think, it's, I think it's unlikely we're going to see a day five, that's for sure. Well, John Norman from TalkSport, I have thoroughly enjoyed your insight into the changing face of English Test cricket. Do me a favour, before you go to the ground today, take a walk along the main beach at Mount Monganui. It's very refreshing and peaceful. Oh, mate. Well, uh, I'm, you know, very, very familiar with these, uh, this part of the world. And I've been for uh, a run around the Mount on, uh, on three occasions. My um, apartment mate, Neil Manthorpe, fantastic commentator, part of the Talk Sport team. Is, uh, he runs about five miles every day. So it's, uh, I'm actually like losing weight here, which is incredible. But <laughs> well, that's a, that's a, go that's a good a, thing. Well, it is a good thing. I went for a run down the down the bay as well. It's um, ah, it's just an absolutely beautiful spot. But New Zealand is kind of blessed with beautiful spots. Yeah, but we're doing it tough in certain areas, mate. Thanks so much for your time. Go well and uh, have a great call today. Yeah, thank you very much. Any time, and it's uh, it's lovely to speak to you. Thanks, mate. John Norman from Talk Sports, talking cricket, swinging both ways, <laughs> swinging both ways. Who gave it that name? Uh, courtesy of our good friends at PGG Rights and Turf, premium suppliers of turf seed and maintenance products to cricket grounds across New Zealand. 10.51 on the Saturday session with Stephen McIver and Big Ben Francis uh, on the Timber Bedpost text line on AA33. Uh, Glenn's just popped in and said, you know what, Stephen, the first three days of the test are sold out. I think that tells you that people want to see Baz ball. But you did hear John Norman say he reckons it's done in four days. What do you think? Why do you think it'll be done in four days? He reckons they'll bat till 7 o'clock tonight. England put up about 4.50 and then uh, throw, throw a few through, through nuggets down to try and uh, rattle New Zealand. Well, give me a call if you want to talk about it. 0800 1508. What's your opinion? Is it a four-day test or does it go five? He did talk about the fact that how well and how strong New Zealand were hanging in there. But I think, Ben, when you say hanging in there, it's like how far are the fingers about to slip off the ledge? <laughs> oh, exactly. You summed it up very well there. Have to, yeah, bravo. Oh, okay. 10.52. Time to head to the Ocho. Yes, the Ocho. This, this, what was the movie? Come on. What was the movie? A Dodgeball. <laughs> Dodgeball. Yeah, it's on the Ocho. The bizarre, the quirky, and the odd from the sporting week. <laughs> Rightio. Uh, as you know, ice hockey, I was talking about this in the office this morning, ice hockey is known for its fights during games, right? Uh, a friend of mine who married a Canadian lass says he reckons ice hockey is the best in 
stadium spectator sport in the world because you don't get an idea of how hard it is, how rough it is, and just the thrill. He says it's quite visceral. Anyway, it does come with consequences. But how about this? What if similar styled fights were introduced to other sports? This is, this is weird, man. So Wigan Athletic Football Club winger James McLean believes they should be introduced into football. The Irishman posted a bizarre suggestion on his Instagram story. He reckons football should copy the NHL's leniency towards fighting. You're kidding me. Something referees tolerate in the sport before giving them a five-minute sin bin. He reckons should a footballer start a fight or even attempt to do so on pitch... Uh, oh, sorry. Currently, a fo- should a footballer or even attempt to do so on the pitch to get a straight red card be hit with multiple game suspensions? He reckons they should just fight and get a five-minute sin bin. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. Like, dumb with a capital D. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs, as we all know, won Super Bowl on Monday. Uh, like most major US sports, after a team wins the title, there's often a huge parade in the city and there's a strong chance players have consumed one or two or 54 beers. And I saw it too. Patrick Mahomes should have slowed down after he handed the Chiefs fan the Vince Lombardi trophy and then walked off. <laughs> hey, uh, here, you like this trophy? It's a great one. It's silver. It's just, just have this. Off you go. I need another beer. Uh, apparently it took him a few seconds to realise uh, what he'd done and he went back to grab the trophy. I actually, he got a lot of, uh, he got a lot of uh, negative vibes. I think it was on Twitter because did you see him on the bus at the top of the bus, Ben? He literally, they literally had to hold him up as he was waving to fans. He was abs. It, and I understand why people were giving it to him because he was abs, not comatose, but he's getting pretty close to it. That's probably why he gave the trophy away. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I've had such a good time. I, I just, I just really, hey, this is a pretty trophy. How about this? Unbelievable. So that's just some of the. I mean, what is the? What are some of the wackiest things that you've seen? I mean, these are that idea. Honestly, that idea of fighting in football is ridiculous. Like, we don't need violence. There are, there are sports that are set up for violence, that are violent contact sports. But that's, it is such a, that's a plonker. I think that, that we can have that guy should be known as a plonker for even <laughs> suggesting that because that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, but that's why, that's why it features in the Ocho. It features in the Ocho, yeah. But, I mean, what, what are people thinking? I mean, there is enough fan violence to worry about it. You know, see many movies and sports movies going around which are based on real stories about how rival fa- football fans will get together and, you know, meet up and have, you know, organised fights. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, I was looking the, listening the other day about how uh, the police are worried in Canterbury that kids, school kids, are organising fights. I just don't like it. Okay. Stick around, lock coming your way after 11 o'clock on this edition of the Saturday session. We talk Sale GP with Mr. Sale GP in this part of the world, Carl Budge, and my good mate Andrew Mulligan, caller for Sky Sport and the Breakers, does talk about the Breakers and the Kings and the, both those semi final series going down to the wire. It has just gone 11 o'clock on the Saturday session here on SENZ. And if you're listening Australia on the SEN app, good morning to you. Or if you're listening on the app around New Zealand, because uh, maybe things aren't working quite right where you are, good morning to you. And I hope you're feeling a little brighter if the sun is shining your way. A lot to come your way before midday today. We're going to talk uh, sale GP, where New Zealand are, are in a very good position uh, to make the grand final in San Francisco. They've got Sydney this weekend. Then it's into Christchurch for the very first time out at Littleton. 
Andrew Mulligan will talk Breakers basketball and also uh, the ANBL final series. Both the semifinals are going to Game 3 at 6 o'clock tomorrow night in Spark Arena. Get your tickets. Get your tickets at Spark Arena and go watch some Breaker basketball and scream them home to their first finals campaign since 2016. Now, what's been going on overnight that you were sleeping on? Well, good news in the for the White Ferns. Either might all be a bit too late. They've kept their T20 World Cup hopes of making the semi final a little bit more alive. It's a 71 run win over Bangladesh. So they posted a tournament high 189 for three batting first. Now, by the way, that was the fourth highest T20 total ever posted. But it proved a little bit too much for Bangladesh. Uh, they fell away and started to 118 in their 20 overs. The big talk out of this one, opener Susie Bates, 81 runs off 61, and if I'm correct, became the highest women's T20 run scorer in history by doing so. So something good has come out of it. They bought their net run rate right back. They had a horrible net run rate. Now it's down to minus 1.517. Now the top three go through in every group. South Africa at 1.5 with the Two matches, one win and one loss. So it's it's a faint hope. They're going to have to rely on other scores going their way. But when you think about the fact that they opened up with scores of 76 and 67, which might still have derailed their campaign, turning around and banging 189 for three, the fourth highest ever total in T20 history for women, that's pretty good. Their final game is on February the 19th, so that is tomorrow, and they will face Sri Lanka, who are ahead of them on four points and have a, a net run rate of 0.194. So they are going to have to go and absolutely smack Sri Lanka out of the park to have any chance of making the semifinals. But good on them. Congratulations to them. Matty Green, I think, posted a 44 as well, so fantastic to try and keep it alive. Everybody loves an underdog, right? Everybody loves an underdog. So Tiger Woods is back and blitzing the birdies again. Everybody's pretty excited about that. But, yeah, and then you go and ruin it all, Tigger. He's facing scrutiny for discreetly handing Justin Thomas a tampon after outdriving him at the Genesis Invitational. The incident occurred as they walked off the ninth tee with Thomas laughing and then dropping the said tampon on the floor. Uh, social media, well, has responded, some criticising Woods, but the 47-year-old is playing his first competitive PGA Tour since missing the cut at the Open in July. Yeah, uh, I think that word that I used before about that Englishman, dumb, uh, that's, you know, that's just, that's just dumb. I don't care if you've won 15 majors. You know, if you want to draw attention to yourself, do it by going and playing fantastic golf again, not throwing a tampon around. Sorry, Tiger. A 35-year-old man has been given a four-year football ban after admitting to assaulting Arsenal goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale at the Spurs Stadium at the end of the North London derby. His name, Joseph Watts, pleaded guilty at the Uxbridge Magistrates Court to assault by beating, going into an area adjacent to the playing area, and throwing a missile onto a football playing area. See, this is why that idea of, of having fights in football is wrong, because you've already got dumb fans doing stupid things. Uh, he is a Tottenham supporter, was handed a 12-month community order, made to pay £100 in compensation to Ramsdale, and will have to carry out 150 hours of unpaid work. 
Now, do you think the idea is stupid about fighting the footballers? Come on, Ben. Don't just sit there quietly and ignore me. I, I, agree, I agree with you, Stephen. I'm not, no complaints from me. That's why I'm just sitting here in silence. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what are you, just briefly, have you got a thought on the uh, White Ferns are keeping themselves alive? Pretty, pretty fine effort, eh? Fourth highest ever total at a women's T20. Yeah, look, it's great that they're still in the tournament and, you know, that should be at least the expectation is to make the, the, the knockout stages. Uh, very tough start to the tournament, so it seems like they're doing all they can to keep themselves in it. Hey, um, just a, a little thought too. We had that text earlier from, uh, I think it was, was it Glenn? No, it was from, uh, who was it from? I'll just double check it. From Rob, who talked about uh, Wagner's bowling, you know, steaming like Tarzan and bowling like Jane. It was interesting to hear John from TalkSport suggest that Wagner is an issue, you know, and that the New Zealand team not being able to, you know, bowl, t- bowl out 20, 20, Get take twenty minutes. Excuse me, is an issue. So uh, he is he is on the money. Uh, just a little text here on the Timber Bedpass text line too. It comes from Anthony. Hey guys, uh, thoughts with everyone in the flooded areas, especially you guys. Uh, is the cricket test match on radio? I have no idea, mate. I've got no idea whatsoever. Uh, so you'll just have to stay with us for updates. Or yeah, as you know, if you don't have it's on Spark Sport. Not for much longer, because they won't be around much longer, but it is what it is, so you can see it on Spark Sport. Or, or just keep your eye. I know uh, New Zealand Cricket have live updates. You've got a Crick Info. I know a lot of the newspaper websites have that sort of thing as well. So th- there are ways of following the cricket if you don't have it, all right? So that's what's been happening overnight. Oh, by the way, we were talking about American sports in the office earlier. You're not really into the NFL, are you? Because I'm, I've, I've become a real fan over the years. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, but what I love right now is, is all the, all the. You don't mock me because they missed out. Don't mock me, Ben, mocker. Uh, is what happens with the quarterbacks, right? And the latest on the quarterback situation. See, Lamar Jackson from Baltimore is a free agent now because I don't think they want to pay him. And the other one is Aaron Rodgers. Now they're looking at Aaron Rodgers as potentially going to the New York Jets. I mean that's like that's like oh, it's like going to play for the Tigers. So <laughs> <laughs> rugby league. It's a it's a one way ticket to retirement. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think the I think the other part of all of this though is, is in America the size of the market you're in is a huge defining factor. So you've got New York, which is a big metropolitan market for television and ratings, and obviously the almighty uh, dollar. I think that's probably where the draw cut is. So. You know, you're probably dealing with large egos in this one as well. Or, well, can I go to the Jets? Well, it's a crap team, but you know, although they had a pretty good start of the season, they just fell away. When were they last relevant? <laughs> Are we talking about the Halberg Awards? <laughs> Could be. It is 11:08 on the Saturday session. Stay with us. We're going to talk to Carl Budge and talk Sale GP in a moment. 11.13 on the Saturday session with Stephen McIver. It's the 18th of February 2023. If you've got some thoughts about what we've been talking about in the last hour, then feel free to call us on 0800 150811 or the Timber Bedpost text line, which is 8833. That's 8833. Do you have an opinion on how long the first of two tests between the Black Camps and England will last? Our guest earlier on from TalkSport, John, uh, John Norman, suggested it is a four-day test. He says it is a four-day test. Uh, New Ze- uh, England will bat on today, try and put up a monster score, 
and then they will just to try and get a couple of wickets uh, before the close of play today, which is day number three. Do you have thoughts on that? Uh, the number is 0800 150811 or get on the Temper Bedpost text line, which is 8833. Now, you would have noted before uh, that we were talking about Tiger Woods and Justin Thomas and the tampon issue, you know, after, after on the ninth. Well, Tiger's offered an apology of sorts. Uh, he said, quote, It was supposed to be fun and games, but obviously it hasn't turned out that way. If I upset anybody, it was not the case. It was just friends having fun. And as I said, if I upset any way, shame or form, then I'm sorry. It was not intended to be that way. Quote, we play pranks on one another all the time. And virally, virally, I think this might not come across that way. But between us, it was different. Hmm. Uh, U.S. golf writer Rick Riley was unimpressed uh, with uh, Wood's, quote, juvenile conduct, writing, all his humour is gross and tops out at seventh grade. Sarah Sturr, who's a sports presenter for Sky Sports in the UK, went and said, uh, extremely disappointing, quote, unquote, and crass. To me, it was laddie, blokey behaviour, passing the tampon effectively saying, I've outdriven you, you're driving the ball like a woman, she wrote on Twitter. Fair play, and I think that's exactly what was going on. Uh, I'm surprised the most recognisable golf on the planet has put himself in a position to be exposed in this way. USA Today columnist Christine Brennan said, quote, Insecure Wood's message to Thomas was obvious. You play like a girl. What a bizarre thing for a girl dad to do. His daughter Sam, now 15, grew up playing soccer, had just played at a tournament in Florida when she arrived to watch him in the Masters in 2019. He employed basic misogyny to insult his good friend Thomas, a knee slapper of a dig against female athletes. You hit the ball like a girl. Okay, so you know where this is going. It's gone down that path. And not too far away, talking to Carl Budge on Sale GP. Uh, Carl is the the chief commercial officer for New Zealand Sale GP and also the New Zealand Grand Prix end of it. So the, the team and also uh, for Sale GP itself. Now, this is how Sale GP works. There are nine teams. Uh, most of them, most of them, as this was set up to try and get people excited about yachting in a different sphere, like they call it the Formula One of, of yachting, uh, is... is paid for by uh, Larry Ellison of Oracle fame, but now there are new teams coming in and funding themselves, which is very, very cool. So there'll be six fleet races. Uh, it's a winner takes all on the road to San Francisco, six fleet races in Sydney Harbour. Uh, new Zealand A are running the old Canadian P-50, which is the sort of design name for the boats because they got hit by lightning in Singapore. So Canada has a new boat, so their old boat's going to... Uh, New Zealand Sail GP with Burling and Tuke on board. It's been given a new livery, pretty cool colours, and that's what's going to happen. You have to understand with Sail, Sail GP, they're all one-make boats. So that's a really cool thing, but they have their own quirks and foibles. Anywho, time to talk to our good friend, Mr Chief Commercial Officer of New Zealand Sail GP and also Sail GP, uh, the event which is in Littleton not too far away. Carl Budge joins us right now. Hello, Budgie. How are you, buddy? Mate. How are you? I'm good. Are you in Sydney as we speak? Uh, I am. I, I thought I'd escape to have a, a business meeting and sit down on the New Zealand team having beer breakfast uh, at the same cafe. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're sitting and comparing notes at present. So, talk to me about the growth of Sale GP. And I know you have uh, a, probably a wider, a wider view of that as well. But the fact that, uh, for instance, uh, Rolex have now signed a, to be as a major sponsor for the next 10 years, 
To you, what does that say about Sale GP? Oh, look, I think it just goes to the confidence that brands have in testing us at present. Yeah, it's been a huge week of announcements here at Sale GP with a 10-year deal with Rolex. We've, we've just seen the, the great British team unveil a major partnership with Emirates coming into the sport in a big way. And so, look, yeah, it's great to see we've got another announcement coming out over this weekend. Um, yeah, it's been a, a brilliant week on the commercial front and yeah, really, I guess, just validates uh, you know, the, 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 the league going from strength to strength. We've, we've been considered the fastest-growing sports league in the world and I think you know, results like this probably just vindicate it. I think one of the challenges you have, and you'll understand this, was how do you make it interesting for people on land watching it? Has been the key always to try and find harbours where you can have an event so people can see it? Yeah, absolutely. So we're really, really different to traditional forms of, uh, of sailing. We, we actually try not to refer to ourselves as sailing. We, we are a racing product. And yeah, our, we want to be in a harbour racing. We, we want to be close to land. Both in Christchurch and Auckland, you're going to be you know, sitting in a grandstand you know, only 20 metres or so away from the, where these boats are going to be racing in anger. Um, and so it's, yeah, it, we're all about getting you very close to the boats, breaking down barriers of how people get in and engage the sport, um, and, and, and ultimately deliver... Yeah, a modern entertainment property that's fast, it's, it's, it's high adrenaline and, and easy to understand. Where has there been the biggest growth and engagement, Carl? Look, I, I think right across the board. We're, yeah, I guess we're only in year three, so it's been you know, it, 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 it's been a rapid growth all, all ways round. But the last three events in particular have been unbelievable for us. Seeing our, yeah, seeing a record broadcast audience for, for sailing in the US three events in a row of any sailing property to, to, to three events in a row, break a record and, and set a new one's been incredibly satisfying for us. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the interest to come and deliver these events around the world has just been spectacular. And, you know, this week, with, with my commercial hat on, even just the brands that we've been able to host and um, have conversation and dialogue with has been, yeah, really encouraging. So, it's a, yeah, the, the future's certainly looking really bright here. So part of my introduction was the fact that this has been bankrolled for a long time and probably still to a point, the boats and the whole night, the whole series by uh, Larry Allison of Oracle. But now it's changing, right? We, have get, we are seeing teams come in and fund themselves because they believe in the product. Oh, it, it, yeah, it's no different to someone coming in with aspirations of owning a Formula One team. In fact, I'd say it's, it's a little bit more achievable in the immediate future. So you have the interest around these. You know, I myself have hosted three people here that are wanting to buy teams this week. It's um, it's been incredible. And so, yeah, look, the, yeah, the, the models, you know, it's bite-sized to get in. It's not a, a you know, it's not the hundreds of millions of dollars you hear in, in other, you know, other sports properties around the world. This is something that you can have a global professional uh, sports team in that are that are doing, you know, I guess, pioneering. Uh, clean tech and sustainable tech, and it's going to places like Saint Tropez and Sydney and uh, and New York, etc. It's it's not such a bad equation. Is there a an ideal number of teams? Yeah, there is. I, I think we've got to consider our growth now at this point. You know, we're we're in year three. We're we're about to start year four. Uh, we've gone from six teams to nine. Uh, there's interest around uh, maybe up to eleven or twelve over the next two years, and then we'll look to go again. So, um, yeah, look, it's. Uh, it, 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 growth is, is one of the joys of being a young sport, but making sure it's considered growth is where you know, our responsibility... What was it that Steve Jobs said? The, the, the things he said no to was what he was most proud of, and I think that's probably a little bit the same boat for us at the moment. See, I sometimes wonder, and, and this must be a challenge for, or maybe not a challenge because of the product, that sometimes sailing can be viewed as elitist, right? So how do you, how do you break that down when you're selling Sail GP? 
Oh, straight away here, you don't need to come and own a boat to come out and watch our racing, which is, um, yeah, that, that's a hell of a step forward. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're fortunate enough that we are able to deliver a product in a way that, uh, that, that people can come, come and engage. It's on free-to-air this weekend in, in New Zealand on, uh, on TV3, free-to-air again on, uh, on TV3 for the New Zealand event in just a few weeks' time. Uh, uh, sorry, I've just got Pete uh, coming to, to say goodbye to head of, head of racing today. Uh, but, but yeah, okay, we're, we're trying to make it as accessible as we possibly can for people. It's uh, yeah, the, the, the sale GP in Christchurch, you're going to be able to have people you know, along the top of the hill lines that are like watching. Yeah, it's spectacular for the sport. Actually, I've just had a text in on our Timber Bedpost text line, Carl, and someone in, in rather large capital letters has said, can I put my boat in the water in Littleton and watch the GP racing from my boat? The answer is yes, you, you can. Um, the challenge in Littleton with the nature of the, the infrastructure that's there is that there's only one all-tied boat ramp. Um, and so, and that boat ramp is occupied by uh, by the operational setup. So, if you've got access to the water via a different alternative, then yes, you can. Um, but as, you just need to make sure you're watching the tides and doing all those sorts of things right to make sure you can get out there. But absolutely, boats uh, boats can get out of the watch of the water. There's free options. There's options to come and get a, a VIP place right on one of the turning marks, etc. So, yeah, plenty of options out there. Talk to well, it's not actually Christchurch. It's Littleton, right? It's in Littleton Harbour, correct? Correct. So, so talk to me about how that's turning out and how progress is going to set that course up. Yeah, so it's, uh, it, all, it all sort of starts. We actually had a blessing of the site this morning. Um, I, I unfortunately couldn't be there, but there's a blessing of the site this morning, which was the official handover to us. Um, and so we now take uh, take ownership of that venue for the next six weeks. Uh, by this time uh, next week, 110 shipping containers will be on their way to uh, to New Zealand from Sydney. Um, so our job is to get the venue ready for the, for the impending arrival of those shipping containers, and then uh, yeah, then then really you come and see very much like Formula One. This uh, this whole little oh yeah, our own little city pops up. Uh, we we come and deliver an event, uh, deliver about thirty million dollars worth of GDP to to the local area, and then we we pack it all up and put it back on a ship, and off we go. What's so what's uh, what's what's viewing what, what is viewing capacity like, and is it sold out yet? Yeah, so we sold out within twenty four hours, which was phenomenal for us. So. Um, we're, we're really humbled by just how quickly uh, people engage this uh, gauge sale GP for, for the first time in New Zealand. But yeah, we're, our, our venue capacity will be about 7,500 a day. Uh, we are just in the midst of trying to release a, a second wave of grandstand tickets. Um, so we're, we're hopeful that we will be able to release some more grandstand tickets this week and, and, and get a few more people to be able to come through the gates as well. So that's, and that will be live on Sky Sport 3 and 3 now, is that correct? Uh, live on TV 3. And, uh, sorry, delayed on TV3 and live on Sky Sport. Ah, uh, okay. But regards, I think the, the, the key part for you is the free-to-air factor, right? Particularly from a commercial perspective. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, we obviously want to be able to wear a new product. We want as many Kiwis getting involved in it as we possibly can. And so, um, yeah, they, to, our friends at Sky have been amazing for us and allowing us to work with TV3 as well. So Sky will have it live uh, right across the weekend and, and TV3 will be coming into it uh, for Sydney, it's uh, it's on at 4.30 tomorrow um, and then 4.30 again on Monday. Uh, and then when it comes into the New Zealand events, we'll be live on the Saturday and uh, and delayed on the Sunday. So, yeah, great opportunity for more Kiwis to come out and watch our sport. Did you ever see this in your future of uh, being involved with sailing, or shall we, we'll just call it racing for you, uh, after your time as tournament director at the ASB Classic? Yeah, mate, like, I, I don't think if my, if my career... Um, yeah, the way it's planned out, I don't think you can really plan too much of it. I think it's about 
the seizing opportunities as they as they come available. I had a, a woeful forehand and was a, was a, a very average tennis player that hopefully enjoyed a pretty um, enjoyable time at, at, at tennis over a couple of decades. And I, I, I barely know Port to starboard at sailing, but um, <laughs> yeah, to be learning a lot and enjoying what we're, what the role's got here as well. Is it invigorating being around Sail GP from your perspective? I think yeah, there's a reason why I joined. I think it is. The Saudi has the potential to become a true heavyweight of the world sport and entertainment mix. Yeah, the comparisons to Formula One are there for a reason. Yeah, we we are very very much like Formula One, just without breaks. It's, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's so many comparisons there. When when you when you look at all the ingredients, it's yeah, sexy destinations, exhilarating racing, a beautiful narrative around what we're doing for the sustainability and purpose space which we're considered probably the best in the world at in, in terms of the sports and entertainment mix. Uh, yeah, it has all the ingredients of what the modern sports and entertainment property needs to have. And so, yeah, if I look at uh, some of the sports I've worked in over the last couple of decades that have probably hit uh, maturity um, and, and are trying to you know, reinvent themselves to be a relevant uh, sports and entertainment property, we've been able to come in right from the outset with, uh, with something new, exciting, and yeah, it's it, it certainly... Um, making waves. All right, mate. I know know you know how to have a good time, so uh, have a good time. Thanks for spending some time with us here on SENZ, and have a great weekend, and uh, the best of luck for Littleton as well, buddy. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks for the support as always. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Carl Budge, uh, Chief Commercial Officer for New Zealand Sales GP team and also the Grand Prix. Uh, Sydney this weekend, not too far away from the first ever one, Sales GP in Littleton, just out of Christchurch. It's 11.28 here on SCNZ. So just a reminder, on our Tampa Bedpost text line to the person that texted in, you should put your name, uh, you can put your boat in the water in Littleton and watch the GP racing, but the main boat ramp is already out of, out of action because it's Greg. Thank you. Thank you, Greg, for that. Uh, you can't do that, right? So there you go. <laughs> yeah, he says, thanks. The cap logs was on, so you see, the, you saw the message while you're chatting. There's also an inner harbour boat wrap, so two a little thanks heap. So there you go. One happy listener here on NZ, SENZ. You can watch the Littleton Grand Prix from the water. You just can't access the main ramp of which the competition is using. Yes, it is. It's 11.33, almost Saturday night. Well, it's a little way off. We're heading towards midday. It's 11.34 with Stephen McIver in for Daniel McCarty today, who's on cricket duty with our good friends in TalkSport in the UK, which is fantastic for Dan because he's such a good bloke and a good caller as well. Uh, that'll be an interesting old day. You would have heard us talk to John uh, from TalkSport earlier on today. Uh, he And it was John Norman, and we, he was talking quite openly. And understandably, you could say, yes, because he's English as well and getting right behind the revolution, as we call it, of English Test Cricket, he honestly believes that it will be a four-day cricket test and that England will win it in four. Do you think that way? If you have an opinion on that, 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. Or you can text me on the Temper Bedpost text line, which is 8833. Now, on that text line, Jared's just texted and said, Hey, Stephen, Carl Budge mentioned a second wave of tickets for Littleton. When would that be? He didn't actually say when it would be, Jared. I think the best idea to go is because the initial wave was sold out in 24 hours. So they're saying a seven and a half 
12,000 daily capacity. I think the best thing for you to do is keep your eye and just keep checking on the uh, Sale GP website. I think it's just Sale GP. Look it up, pop up, and just keep an eye on the whole ticketing idea. And there'll probably be a sub part where you can click on and look at New Zealand as well. So he didn't actually say when. The line he used was, we are working on another allocation, a second wave allocation. So that's pretty exciting to, to know that it's sold out in Littleton, for Littleton Harbour is pretty exciting indeed. And here's hoping uh, tomorrow night... At Spark Arena, it is sold out for Game 3 of the semi-final series between the Breakers and the Jack Jumpers because that series, along with the Kings and the Taipans, has gone down to a decided to find the two finalists in this year's championship. So on Wednesday, the Kings beat up on the Taipans, 95-87, and then they went to Taipanville, and the Taipans beat them up, 93 82, Xavier Cooks, uh, the MVP, and a bit of bother after that game for the Sydney Kings. The Breakers beat up the Jack Jumpers 88 68 uh, last Sunday, and just Thursday gone, the Jack Jumpers got one back, and me- meaning they are 11 and 1. 11 and 1 against the Breakers at their home court in Tasmania, 89 78. So it is down to the wire for the Breakers. And the only man you need to talk about basketball in this country with is the man behind the microphone on Sky Sport, our good friend Andrew Mulligan. Mate, were you surprised or a little unsurprised with that result? I was a little bit uh, surprised that it did go down to um, to three. I also felt like it was going to be a uh, a real arm wrestle of a series, and that's what Game 2 was in Tasmania. And Tasmania is such a good thing, because um, in, in, in terms of just being gritty, grindy, happy to mix it up with you at any point on any part of the floor. And so game three will be exactly that. It's not gonna, I don't think it's going to be pretty, and it could be a blowout. And these kind of like winner-take-all elimination games aren't always the most perfect flowing games of offense. They usually just grindy, grindy um, yeah. showings. You know, when you break down the Breakers' performance, you know, Pardon 15, Brantley 17, Barry Brown Jr. 19, do you think Modi Mayor could have used maybe Vodonovic and Lowe a little bit more? They had really low minutes. Yeah, I just, it's funny, uh, Modi's, Modi's rotations really are dictated by the game. Like, he's really good at adapting um, on the fly and adjusting. A lot of coaches, um, have to adjust in a, in a game, especially after half time. But Rob Lowe finished this regular season really strong for them. They really um, used him really well. It's just the matchups. Um, he doesn't match up well with Will Magnate. Um, he'll match up with Fabian Krislovich pretty well. But fa- both those players can take you out on the three point line in that pick and pop situation with the handoff. Uh, so they're, they're, it's kind of like where you're getting your output from. And it's really going to have to be Jarrell Brantley. And Barry Brown, yeah, the high pick and roll, and that second third option, that second third pass wasn't quite working for them, and they were getting picked up at halfway. And really, the key is for Tasmania in that game too. We're shutting down Will McGill White, and Will McGill White just couldn't have an impact on the game as much as he did in game one, and has done uh, since he's uh, come back from those niggly injuries. He's been really, really good. So they did a really good job on the uh, on the guards. Uh, the the ascendancy of Will McDowell White has that been one of the pleasing things to watch this season? Yeah, it has, and he but he was the season. Modi Moller, uh, you know, I want to say infamously now did a podcast uh, interview with Liam Santamaria from NBL and said Will is a sixteen eight and eight guy, 
the 16 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, <laughs> average. And and I mean that, and he is he is for a, 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 an offensive system that would use him in a situation like that. But when you've got Barry Brown Jr. and Isaiah Liapa, three really um, good guards, those three really good guards, that rotation, those heavy minutes aren't going to come his way. But he is such an impactful player. He does everything. He's very smart. He's, he doesn't get flustered. He's, uh, he's got a much better jump shot than he did um, two years ago when it came to the breakers. And he is, um, he's been, you know, fantastic. Like, he's one of the best point guards the breakers ever had. He's up there with Cedric Jackson. Um, he's really, he's probably a better scorer than Cedric Jackson. Hey, Miles, when you, when you look at uh, what the Jack Jumpers were able to do in their home stadium where the Breakers have now have a horrible record, they're 1-11, and you get the points production out of uh, Tajia McCall, you know, 20 points, DJ Hogg, 25 points, Sam Wardenberg, 15 points, are they going to be able to rip, replicate that inside Spark against what's going to be a, a feral crowd? Yeah, I, I really hope that people come out uh, for this game. I know that last week, obviously, Cyclone Gabriel had a say in um, ticket sales leading up to the game and the days preceding it. People just stopped buying tickets because they didn't know what was going to happen, which is fair enough. Um, it's been a tight turnaround for ticket sales. They haven't been on sale yesterday afternoon to the general public. Yeah, and I, I, I feel as though that they set off the energy of Spark Arena on Sunday really well. It almost felt like they were relieved the regular season was over. Now it was time to take care of business. My State Bank Arena is just an awful place to play for visiting teams. They have such a great crowd. Um, they really relish the way that they play in front of their home fans at Jack Johnson's. Cairns is very much the same. They're very much um, a grindy crowd. It's probably the, um, I've heard that they're the worst crowd to play in front of as a visiting team, apart from the Perth Wildcats. Um, so uh, any, either way, Either way, you're going to get um, two very, 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 very grindy teams if Cairns managed to get over Sydney with Xavier Cook's role in his ankle, the, the league MVP last night. Yeah, I was going to jump onto that. But before we get to that, I just want to ask the question. You've been, you've watched this breakers. You've been around this team when, when they were on a roll and winning championships. Do you get that championship feeling right now? I do. I do. I really do. Um, and Sydney is very, very good. Make no bones about it. Cairns is very good too, but the way that they played against Cairns and Tasmania, the breakers, they handled their business really well. They, they match up pretty well with them. Cairns are a long, athletic um, team. They shoot the ball, but they run up and down. They, they were built, as Adam Ford said, to beat the Sydney Kings because they want that championship as well. But the breakers are just that much more physical. And the way that they played against Sydney showed that they are there and thereabouts, but Sydney are just a class above everybody else when they're fully fit. But the breakers um, last few weeks have just been sensational. They've just seen the light at the end of the summer. Man. The reliance on... And the way that... Sorry, mate. There was just a little bit of tech, tech, tech uh, drop out there. Can, can you tell me about oh, the reliance on the Kings of Xavier Cooks? Rolled ankle, may not play game three. Uh, are they in danger of maybe dropping the ball, so to speak, if they if they can't turn that around with him? Well, Adam Ford, yeah, the Cairns coach, did say that they were built, this Taipan team, who was second to last last year, they were built to beat Sydney because the road to the championship goes through the reigning champs and they're the number one team in the league. They will be a little bit rattled, but they've played without Xavier Cooks before. He rolled his ankle against the Breakers in the first half of the season. He missed multiple weeks as well. Uh, as a result, they managed to survive without him. They've got Derek Walton Jr., um, you know, he's a really good import. 
He does really well. Got big Tim Suarez uh, in the middle. They've got guys off the bench who can who can step up. And I just said Justin Simon is an elite defender in this league. They will know what to do without Xavier Cooks because they've done it before. But these elimination games, they do funny things. Um, <laughs> Chase Buford, the Kings coach, got ejected last night. Yeah. He, 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 he he's he's an excellent coach. He's emotional uh, emotional as well. It's, you just think that the uh, Kudos Bank Arena, which can get thirteen fourteen thousand in there as well, I think that'll lift the Kings. I think they'll get them past the the Kent Taipans. Okay, so we set up a Breakers Kings Grand Final. Let's cross our fingers on that one. Six o'clock tomorrow night at Spark Arena, mate. How about your Hurricanes? What's going to happen this year? Well, they just took care of business against the Crusaders in preseason, so. Uh, just give them the championship now. Yeah, like, but... you know, just, just hand it over, <laughs> mate. Just please don't tell me you believe anything you see in preseason. <laughs> well, yeah, I do because you know this is, is being from being around the Warriors. Preseason means everything. <laughs> yeah, it's our year, right? Not. No, I'm a doggies fan, man, and I like my I like my oh, dog, yeah, yeah. I like my doggies going forward. What are you intending to catch on the water today? Oh, absolutely nothing. I'm intending to, to um, donate my baits to the uh, to the schools of Snapper underneath us. Stay safe, man. Always a pleasure talking to you, Miles. Thanks, Stephen. Have a good one. Eleven forty-three. He is uh, he's one of the good guys and is incredibly passionate, Andrew Mulligan, about basketball. It's just a lot of fun to be around. I work for him a long, long time, and man, you get him and Casey Frank together, and they will just talk basketball to the cows come home. But you know what, Big Ben? It is really exciting that we're going now through a period where the Breakers were have a home court to play out of after having so many years on the road, you know, with COVID, yuck, we don't talk about that. And a change of coach has suddenly turned them around. And I keep using this number to remind people how average they were last year. They were 5-23. and 23. One interesting thing I heard, I believe it was Casey Frank, I heard him on the station a couple of weeks ago, and he kind of spoke about how Matt Walsh has really taken a bit of a back seat. Matt Walsh, the Breakers owner, has yeah. taken a back seat this year, and he's kind of let the staff who have been there for many years, who some of the staff were around when uh, the Breakers last won the title in 2015, I think it was, and he said that he, he's giving the responsibility and trust in them to do their jobs, and he's not been as hands-on. Like We have not really heard from Matt Walsh at all this year. No, and I think quietly a lot of people think think that he might have been somewhat of just a, a fly in the ointment and taking the attention away from the team to allow the team to do their job and sort of, you know, put himself out there. And that's not being unkind. It's just that that's the way his style of ownership was and that what they've been through now. And I mean, you've got to remember one thing. You know, they weren't probably making any money whatsoever in those first two years travelling. So he, was, he and his investors were footing the bill. The very encouraging thing was... He didn't go away. Mm. He stayed and believes. And when you're in a league now, which is being considered, this is what fascinates me, it's being considered one of the strongest leagues in, outside of the NBA in the world now. Yeah, well, you've got there's lots of you know they do the young stars program where the prospects come down and play the season in the league, and you've got guys who have you know played in some of the big leagues in Europe. They've played had time in the NBA and the G League and all that, and they just bring all that experience down here. And of course, when the when the league gets better, you know, the local players need to step up their game to play to that level, and you just see that rise in quality. But how exciting the Breakers just you know they win tomorrow, they're in the grand final in the final series. Yeah. Like that is so cool. Not hard to jump on the Breakers trainers, and if you. Remember 
remember the early days, uh, what a, an atmosphere it was. And Breakers fans are, they remind me a little bit of football fans in England. They are the most faithful fans that you will ever see. You just walk down the street and you see so many Breakers singlets everywhere and Breakers merch. And they go there and they, they wear the whole nine yards and they have embraced them, which I love. Yes, we love winners. We all love winners. We understand that. But I think uh, the way the breakers are rolling now, and, and as you heard Mull say, he has that championship feeling in his bones about where the breakers might, might end up, which means another title, which would be excellent. So if you haven't bought your ticket for tomorrow's night, tomorrow night's match, the third in this three-game series against the Jack Jumpers, get on it now. Tip-off is at 6 p.m. at Spark Arena. Do you want your breakers to go through? And what I would love to know is, why do you love your breakers so much? What is it about the breakers that makes you want to go out and buy merch and get in those stands and start yelling and screaming defense and offense and the whole nine yards? Give me a text. Send me a text. I'd rather you ring, of course, on 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. But text me on the temper, best, temper bed post text line. What is it? What is it about the breakers that you love? This is the Saturday session on a Saturday, of course, the 18th day of Feb 2023. It's 11.52 with Stephen McIver heading towards midday and after midday. All things being equal, we'll talk to uh, Justin Morgan, the Warriors assistant coach. We've just had word that there are, they're at the airport. Uh, they fly, we believe, one o'clock, but there are long queues. Long queues at the airport, we understand. Uh, but we've been speaking with Justin. We think that'll be OK to talk about their their match against the Melbourne Storm tomorrow, live on Sky Sport at 10 to 3 uh, at Orange Theory Stadium in Christchurch. There were matches played last night in the preseason. The Eels beat up on the Knights 36-14. Comments coming out of that match suggesting... Uh, that Caelan Ponga, not that flash on defence at number six, Ben. Hmm. Is, that a, is that a big surprise, though? Because wasn't, <laughs> isn't that part of the issue when he was playing? He's filled in there a couple of times and his defence not, has not been up to it? Yeah, we'll let that one sit there and let's percolate, shall we? Manly, now the way the point structure works, Manly are going to have potentially enough points so that, uh, to win the whole thing. It's been this whole $100,000 winner takes all. Oh, this preseason season Don't cult. even ask me to oh. explain. Don't even <laughs> ask me to explain the, the complications, but they beat the Roosters 28-16. Tedesco was filthy about that. Today there are three matches at 6.20. It's the Dragons against the Bunnies, and then there's the World Club Challenge between the Panthers and St. Helens. St. Helens beat up the Dragons last week, 30 points to 18, and a really solid showing. So I'm hoping they really give the Panthers a solid show because, you know, there is still this attitude that the Northern Hemisphere is a lot weaker than the Southern Hemisphere. But this is a really strong St. Helens side. Uh, feature. They've won the last four Super League Grand Finals. And Connie Hurrell comes back. Big Connie, the man that loves to promote his budgie smugglers. Big <laughs> Conrad Hurrell in the centres. He'll love it back here. He's a new father as well, so that's pretty exciting. 10.55 tonight, it's the Queensland Derby. It's the Broncos against the Cowboys. So that's coming your way tonight, and those are the results. Out of, by the way, just in the casualty ward, uh, the Eels' Sean Lane went to hospital for scans, a potential broken jaw. The Roosters will be a little nervous about this one. Joseph Suali'i uh, took a head knock. 
And so that could could potentially put him out. Depends how bad the head knock is and how bad the concussion is. Manly's Morgan Harper. Uh, knee concern went down clutching that one. And Brad Parker uh, from Manly, a potential busted nose. But if you're a Manly supporter, the encouraging news that came out of the week is that Tommy Turbo, Tommy Turbo, is an almost certain starter for round one after being to America, having that hamstring work done on that bad old hamstring, and that Tommy Turbo could start, will start, possibly start, week number one for Manly. It's not too far away, man. It is like two weeks away to the start of the season. I don't know where it went, but there's so much to look forward to. After midday, all things being equal, Warriors assistant Justin Morgan and New Zealand over 40s cricketer Hamish Marshall. And we'll get some team reaction from the football ferns drubbing at the hands of Portugal when they went down yesterday in Hamilton 5-zip. <laughs> Just gone midday here on the Saturday session with Stephen McIver in for Daniel McCarty today. He's on TalkSport England uh, cricket duty and that'll be a lot of fun for him, I'm sure, as the English side look to try and finish it in four days. Well, that's what... John from TalkSport said to us earlier on today, he reckons it's a four-day test. If you've got thoughts on that, 0800 Just a little update of what's been going on in the last 24 hours. Uh, if you are a cricket fan, well, the women's T20 side, the White Ferns, uh, set the fourth highest T20 total of 189 for three and uh, made it a 71-run run over Bangladesh. Now, Susie Bates, unbeaten, 81 runs off 61, becomes the highest T20 run scorer in history. But uh, they are they are an outside chance, an outside chance of making the semi-finals. Uh, their final game is Sri Lanka against Sri Lanka tomorrow. Also in women's sport, the football ferns beaten up, beaten up, five nil by Portugal in one of the first of three friendlies ahead of July's FIFA Women's World Cup. Not a lot to crow about. Uh, Livy Chance from the Football Ferns had this to say. Individually, we weren't good enough. And we know that. We all know that as uh, players that we wanted to put on a performance. You know, we care so much about this World Cup in five months. And today wasn't good enough. Obviously, I'm not happy. I'm at home and I want to play well. And I want, you know, it's hard to come back to Hamilton and not put on a good performance. But it's about how we react now, I think. You know, you all can always see these as a bit of a wake-up call. And, you know, I agree with Yetka. It was the basics that we didn't do well today. You know, first touch, get your head up, know what you're doing next, tracking our players, getting tight. So there's so many things that we can fix. It, You know, it's going to be a fun 48 hours, I think. You know, a lot of those girls are disappointed in there. We, we let ourselves down. So I think, you know, now it's about what we can do against Argentina and, you know, put our heads, pick our heads back up and and go on the next one. All the pressure too going, probably their coach too, uh, the manager, Yitka Kimklova, because it's not flash ahead of the cup of which we are one of hosts along with Australia in July. It's exciting because it's probably the biggest Biggest global tournament. It is the biggest tournament ever to be played out on our shores, at least. But you want your home team rolling all right. So we'll, we'll, our thoughts are with them. Got to keep going, girls. That's how it rolls. Uh, on a brighter note, the Wellington Phoenix have reinvigorated their season. They beat uh, defending uh, the champs, the Western United... Are they defending champs, Western United? Anyway, it doesn't matter. They beat Unit Western United 3-0 uh, last night, which is cool because they were sort of in a... They snapped a three-game slump. Uh, they now sit fifth in the... A-League table, they will face Central 
the Central Mariners next on Friday, who are sitting in P2. Now, in other football news, this is the this has been an, the ongoing story of who is going to buy Manchester United. Well, Sky Sport News now understands that investors from the United States and Saudi Arabia will bid for the club. Well, we can confirm the latest is that a consortium led by Sheikh Yassim bin Hamad Al Thani, chairman of the Qatar Islamic Bank, they will have submitted an offer, a 100% offer to take over Manchester United. Now, the current owners are the Glazer family. They're wanting something like £5 billion. £5 billion for Man U. And they certainly didn't say this, uh, spend that much on when they bought them, but they, they were debt heavy when they did it. Uh, the quote from the Qataris, the bid plans to return the club to its former glories both on and off the pitch. Above all, we will seek to place the fans at the heart of Manchester United Football Club once more. The bid will be, get this, completely debt-free via Sheikh Yassim 9, Jassim's 9-2 Foundation, which will look to invest in the football teams, the training centre, the stadium and wider infrastructure, the fan experience and the communities the club supports. The vision of the bidders from Manchester United Football Club to be renowned for footballing excellence and regarded as the greatest football club in the world. And then don't forget Jim Ratcliffe's there, the man behind Ineos and Grenadier. He said he's a he's an Englishman. He wants the club as well. But can they compete with that Middle East, that Eastern money? Wow. Who knows? It's 12.05 here on the Saturday session. We'll head rugby league way in just a moment with Justin Morgan from the Warriors. 10 past midday with Stephen McIver in for Daniel McCarty today. Just looking at Tiger Woods on the telly. He's on the cut line at the Genesis Information uh, Invitational. You know what, Ben, just quickly? I reckon he's had face work, eh? He looks, he looks like he's had face work. I'm just saying that. I'm just throwing that out there. You don't have to say anything, right? Just because I know man that, one man that doesn't have face work because he's uber fit and he runs. He runs like a, a Kenyan runner, and I've seen it happen. Is Justin Morgan the assistant coach for the Warriors. Morning, Morgs. Morning, mate. You are correct. I haven't had any work done, thank goodness. Oh, actually, I should say good afternoon. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the spot. Hey, yeah, just quickly, some changes to your lineup this week. Uh, first and foremost, how bad is Luke Metcalf's tra- uh, hamstring injury? Yeah, still waiting for some results for the scans, but it's not looking good. Um, he's injured it a couple of times. He had a bit of a, uh, an issue with it just post-Christmas, and I know he's had some problems before, so... We have to must really err on the side of caution with him. So it'll be a number of weeks, whether it's um, you know whether it's yeah. weeks or months. It's 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 going to be a fair amount of time on the sideline. But we just need to get confirmation once the bleeding sort of settles down in the hamstring area and they can get a good scan on it. Ah, no good. Uh, we know Tomides Martin's out, waiting for the birth of a child. So Ronald Volkman comes in for him. Adam Pompey out. Why? And then comes Viliame Vailea. Yeah, Pomps has just got a bit of a tight hammy. Um, again, just airing on the side of caution. We're hopeful that it's not a strain. Again, just waiting for some scan results to come through. He, he sort of pulled up a little bit tight after the All-Stars game. Um, so we sort of eased him back into training and then he just didn't recover as quickly as we would have liked him to. So again, it's, it's one of those ones, if it is a strain, it'll be a light one or it might be just some hamstring tightness. So um, we're hopeful that he'll be ready for round one, um, but we'll have a little bit more information, I'd imagine, next week. I know you've had an off-season and you've been training and it sort of becomes the grind, And but is there a, an air of excitement for this match that you're now only two weeks away from the start of the season? Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. As coaches, we're only talking about that the other day, that 
now that the, the pre-season's behind us, there's a level of excitement. We saw that with training today. The boys were sort of jumping out of their skin. A lot of guys are putting on the jersey for the first time, all our new recruits. So there's a real good level of energy at training um, this morning. So uh, we know the season's just around the corner. Uh, the fact that the Knights played last night, we got to watch that. That'll be our opponents in round one. So, yeah, the, the fact that the pre-season is behind us now is also... Yeah, a good feeling because, like you said, it's a bit of a grind. You know, um, you know, you're working every day and you're working on fitness and conditioning and all those sorts of things. But now we get to the to the fun part, which is playing. So, uh, you know, we still we still don't feel as though that we're you know fully complete package and we're continuing to improve each week. So, um, we're looking for a really good performance tomorrow. Get some combinations and and continue to put into practice those things that we worked on in the preseason. and that'll be the key thing that we'll be looking for. Yeah, I don't I don't want to you know overplay this this next question, but did you have a look at uh, the halves for the Knights and think actually we'll be okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean again it was it was one of those things that you know that we saw there was flashes at different times. You know, um, you know, and Kalen's going to be you know, a handful when they've got the ball in hand, you know, and without sort of, you know, getting too simplistic yep. with the, our approach that if you hold the ball and you don't put it in his hands too often, you make them defend you also on your way to hopefully a, you know, a good chance of winning the game. But um, look, you know, we all know that, you know, trials are trials um, and what happens on round one, the intensity of teams and, and the style of teams will change a little bit. Teams won't want to re- reveal their whole hand in their trials as well. So, you know, we can't get too bogged down on what we see. We want to learn a little bit from what we've seen, but at the same time, I think the majority of teams for the first two or three weeks will be just solely concentrating on themselves. Murata Niakori excites me. Don't know what it is. I just I, when I look at buys and not a not what you would call a rock star buy, but a buy that could be a difference to the team. Well, I'll tell you why he excites you. He's a big, mobile, athletic, aggressive human being. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he excites us too. Um, you know, he's been working really hard with Sean on that right edge. Um, you know, he's mobile. He's, he's, his ability to be able to slot from playing in the middle to playing in the centres, there's not too many players in the NRL that can do that, and he can do both of them comfortably. He's been doing that comfortably in a team that's been etched in the top four for the last four or five seasons. So, you know, he's, he's no slouch. Um, He's going to be a really, really good weapon for us, um, you know, as well as his experience defensively on that edge. So we've seen him make some really good progress at training over the last few weeks. You know, he, he came back a little bit later than everybody else because obviously he went all the way through to the grand final. Um, but he's really ramped up his intensity over the past three or four weeks. And, and we're really excited about him too. I think he's going to be a really good buy. You know, like all our buys have been, you know, Barney's been great. Mitch Barnett in the middle of the field, you know, he brings a you know a hard edge to our to our middle, and he'll give some great support to Torhu through the middle, and Dylan Walker's versatility as well. You know, he's a vastly experienced player. He's played for his country. He's played in big games, um, played in grand finals, etc. So, again, he's also going to bring some you know real stability to that middle of the field that'll that'll help our, our more senior players in Torhu and Adden and, and Bunty Afolan as a hundred gamer. So um, that'll be able to relieve some of the pressure on those guys not having to. You know, I suppose bear all of the load themselves. Well, you you of all understand if you have if you've got a great prop rotation and you've got a big bench that comes off and actually continues, then you're you're in for a hell of a, a hell of a season, right? Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the middle of the field is, is is where it's done. You have to get that rotation right, and then when you, when you've got that and you've got players that can play decent amounts of minutes, 
you can actually use your bench tactically. You, know, you can put players on the bench that can come on and change the game for you. You know, and, and you know, somebody like Dylan Walker who who can play at 13, he can play at hooker, he can play in the centres, he can play in the halves, and you might want to put him on. And I think we we're only talking the other day that we're really excited about seeing Torhu and Dylan on the field at the same time. You know, both really good passers of the football, and you know, hopefully they'll be able to create some you know some good ruck speed for for our for our spine to create some, you know, try-scoring opportunities. Hey, Morgan, the one thing I don't understand, and you can help me out here, I, I'm not sure how big is Dylan Walker as, as a football player? Where, do, where does he sit? He's, he's you know, he's, he's not massive, but he's one of those guys that, you know, he's, he's he knows his body, he knows the, how to get his body around the field. You know, he's, he's one of those guys. He's, I think he's one of those old-school, true footballers, you know, because he, you know, he plays what he feels, and he's a great student of the game. Yeah, he's forever coming up in the coach's office talking about different plays and why should we defend the play this way or what about this type of play or do you think we should be doing this? He's a, he's a really good student of the game, which is uh, which is great. Um, and oh, I'd say he must probably sit in around the you know, the mid ninety kilos, but he's you know, he's 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 got a lot of training age behind him. So um, you know, he's been in the gym for maybe, you know, 12 or 13 years professionally. So he's got great training age behind him. So he's, he's strong and, and all those types of things. And, you know, you can be strong in the gym, but he's also footy strong. You know, he's out on the field and he knows how to win tackles and, and use his body to, you know, to get into space. He's, he's very good at that. So, so, so it sort of reminds me a little bit, is he a sort of a Cliffy Lions physical, that style yeah, of player? He's, he's, yeah, he's about that, that style of player. He's a real field player. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's also at the same time, you know, he can he can just, you know, manoeuvre other players into space really well with his sleight of hand. So, yeah, that's that supposed to be a good description, you know, Cliffy Lyons. You know, he's big, but you wouldn't say he's robust, you know, yeah. but, you know, he's, he's big enough, you know. And, oh. You know, you wouldn't say he's electrically fast, but... <laughs> He has an ability to find space. Oh, yeah, and we, and we love that. Well, so we can allow the likes of Chan's Nickel Klukstar to do his job. How's Chan's uh, shaping up for this season, mate? Yeah, really good. He's, he's very similar to Murata. You know, started a little bit later with us because of of, of the World Cup. Um, but, you know, he he's, um, he's, again, the last two or three weeks just gone to another level. Um, again, right. it was always going to be difficult you know, coming in late and picking with a with a spine, but he's been great. And again, you know, I think one of the great things about Charles is his story. You know, like you know, he went to Melbourne, played under twenties, came back to Warriors, made his debut, sort of found, you know, obviously a fair player and Roger Tuivasa Shek in front of him, um, went away and really stuck at it, you know, and applied his trade and got picked up by the Raiders and got a huge amount of experience behind him. He's one of these guys, such a diligent approach to you know to 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 his craft you know every morning he's in the gym with Marcelo Montoya they're doing their preparation they're in there you know an hour and a half before they're supposed to be there and you know and that's a, a great reflection on um you know on his attitude towards his, his craft um so yeah it's great seeing him you know, get some success after working so hard for so many years it's, he's a good individual too. I can vividly remember, and you'll you'll love this. I can vividly remember when he was about to leave the place uh, with Roger in front of him, talking to him in the pack and save in Glen Innes, and I said, "What's going on?" He goes, "I'm not so sure, uh, my, but my manager is looking for something. Maybe Canberra." 
and he reinvented himself at Canberra, and I think that's just such a good story. But finally, because I'm sure you're going to get your call for your flight out of uh, first the first class lounge. Um, you you know you know Melbourne intimately, having been there. How do you stop Munster and Hughes? Don't give them don't give them too much ball. Um, look, I, I think the, their strength is obviously both former fullbacks. They're big runners of the football. Both very strong cues off his right, Munster off his left. So I think honesty defensively is a real key for us, you know, because are they going to run the football? Yeah, that's that's an absolute lay down there that's going to happen. They're going to run the ball at some point. They're going to attack our, our big guys in the middle of the field. And the moment that you think they've gone away from you, they're coming back to find you. So I think honesty, honesty in defence will be a real key to make sure that they don't have a huge influence. So um, that, that'll be key for everyone across the field. So if you're on the left-hand side of the field and... And Jerome's got the ball on the other side of the field, expect him to come back to you. So I think if you do your work early defensively, fill the space, move up on the negative side, all those types of things, you won't present them with the same number of opportunities that other teams have done. Morgs, you're always generous with your time, and I do appreciate it here on SNZ. Uh, just uh, quietly, you drop in and say hi to Sean from us and wish him the best of luck because anyone is under pressure that is, and expectation is so high, just go and tell him to play like he used to play and we'll be fine, OK? Yeah, I will, mate. He's just—he's a little bit ahead of me on the line here, and he's—he's he's chatting away. No. He's a really good spirit, Sean, and and we're hopeful that you know we can he can get you know some of that form that we we know that he can play um, with. But I think he's going to have some some great help with some people around him. And I've seen him with a smile on his face the last couple of weeks, and I know he's really excited about playing, and we're excited about getting him back out there. So. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll pass it on for you, mate. And all as usual, always great chatting with you too. <laughs> Jeez, you're a pro. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. <laughs> Have a great day. See you, mate. Yeah, see you, mate. Justin Morgan, assistant coach for the Warriors, one of the good guys and a footballing brain like you wouldn't believe. How do I know that? Well, I had the uh, the pleasure of working with him on Sky Sport when I was doing rugby league, and he has got one of the great brains and his ability to simplify the game, Ben, and bring it down to, a, 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 a let's just say, a base level for dum-dums like me to understand, even after 26 years, was fascinating and just a good bugger. Hearing just hearing them talk there, you know, I have to say that I'm, I'm so excited for this season. I'm really excited to see some of these new combinations. I'm really disappointed about Luke Metcalf because he was one of the players I'm so excited to see out there for the Warriors, and he was fantastic. He was never going to be a starter at this point, but you, we saw signs against the Tigers, didn't, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. That he is a buy that will come. He yeah. will come on. And he was one that Sean Johnson identified because they played at the Sharks together, and Sean said, you know, you need to get this guy on, and that's part of the reason why he's there. But just hearing Justin talk about some of these new combinations and maybe some of the styles the Warriors are going to play, it does give you a lot of positivity. Yeah, what, what, you know the one individual that does excite me, and it was, and it was when, I, when they bought Dylan Walker, I went, hmm, why? And then the more you talk to Justin about it and you understand what his role is, he, he knows he is the 14. I spoke to Justin last week, of all things, here on SCNZ, and he is genuinely the 14 and he will be the go-to man not the fix-it man the go-to guy because he can cover a number of positions and when you hear him talk about the experience you know 13 years in footy so he's probably a little bit at the back end but but in the right position to do that you know not a not a giant human being and like a good mid-sized human being with lots lots of games under his belt I I would like to think if you are a Warriors supporter you're feeling good at this particular point in time Tomorrow we could be talking differently. They get hammered by the Melbourne Melbourne Storm. Who knows? You know, it's 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 a it's a fluctuation. I'm not going to say the RC word. You know what that is, right? What's RC? Roller coaster. 
You could have Ben. I I, I literally had a mind blank. <laughs> I, I was thinking I was thinking R C R C. First thing that popped in my mind was rookie card, and I thought no, that that's, that can't be it. No, there's always been this thing. Oh, if you support the Warriors, you're gonna hop on the roller coaster. Yawn. Twelve twenty three here on the Saturday session with Big Ben Francis and Stephen McIver. Oh, yes, we are ready for a good time at 12.28 here on the Saturday session with Stephen McIver and Big Ben Francis. I bet you Hamish Marshall's ready for a, a good time as well. Over 40s cricket. Would you ever have thought you'd be playing over 40s cricket for your country, Hamish? Well, Stephen, I didn't, but um, it's, it's come across uh, us and we're, we're looking forward to it. It should be a good... Uh Gee, does it just does it just make you feel a little bit old? A little bit. The, um, I think the mind still thinks it can do it, but the body is the one that battles the most. So each morning waking up after a game would be just, just bodies no doubt. Well, you know what it's like to play international cricket. Before we talk about the over-40s, I would love your take on the first test at Bay Oval. Uh, a 98-run lead in the second innings that England have. They're currently 79 for two. Uh, our talk sport commentator from England, who is in the country, lovely fellow, broke it down. He, he says it's a four-day test that England will set, set New Zealand about 450 today, and then they'll try and knock a few wickets over tonight. Where do you stand on this test? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the way these tests tend to sort of unfold is you try and get as many runs during the daylight hours, and once the, the, the lights come on, they um, they tend to have a bowl, and the England bowlers love those conditions where it moves around, but their batters are the key. They they score so quickly that they give them a lead, and they can give them the luxury of being able to declare in those times, like we saw on day one. So I, I pretty much agree with what he's saying. What, what the score will be, I don't know, but um, New Zealand, we saw Devin Conway get through that first sort of that session on day one, if, if our top order can do that, it'll, it'll set the test up nicely for, for a good result. Do you have concern about the New Zealand bowling attack not being effective enough to get 20 wickets? Well, I think there's always that concern, but I mean, we've certainly seen over the, the past sort of 12 months, especially since Brendan's been in um, charge, that getting all the England batters out for any country has been difficult. So it's a, it's a wicket that hasn't really offered a huge amount to the team. As we saw England go pretty short and... Um, they knew there wasn't a lot in the wickets, so they used a different tactic. And um, I guess that's probably the, the way that pitch plays. And, and whether it takes turn later in the in the test um, is, is to be seen. But uh, yeah, at the moment it looks like there's not a lot in it for the bowlers, and we've got some boys on debut. So there's a, there's a big ask for those bowlers, and they, they're giving it everything they can, I guess. Do you like the way England are playing Test cricket? Oh, I love it. I think it attracts different people to the game as well. And um, although. Test, I mean, test cricket or cricket itself is changing and, and has to evolve to keep up with the you know, modern society likes fast sports. So um, test cricket is doing that. Um, England have, have been able to show us a different way of playing. Um, and sometimes they might get tipped up, but certainly whilst they do it, they entertain. And, and at the moment, they're proving that it's a way to win win test cricket and win it um, attractively. Hamish, you know, some things don't change and we all love a trans-Tasman battle and you're, you're up against the Australian over-40s for a three-match series coming up. But first of all, you get to play some internationals against uh, New Zealand A to, tomorrow, I believe, tomorrow and uh, Monday, correct? Yes, play. Uh, we play them tomorrow and then Australia play them on Monday. So New Zealand A get two days of cricket against both both sides. So uh, what are you looking forward to about this? Well, I guess from that, from that first game, it's um, a bit of rivalry. There's certainly some, some uh, positions up for, for grabs because 
the World Cup, 17 players head over to Pakistan. So there's some, there's some spots to be grabbed there, and some of the A boys will be keen to, um, to prove themselves. And then it's not a guarantee for those who are in the New Zealand side. So um, there's a fair bit to play for, and uh, I guess there'll be a fair bit of banter because we've had the national tournament, and we all know each other pretty well. So um, although it'll be competitive, there'll be a bit of banter out in the middle. What, what, what's the strength of your side like? Not too bad. We've got some ex-Indian um, first-class players um, who uh, play one from Christchurch and, and one from the Wellington region who are very good cricketers. We've got a pretty good opening bowling attacks, and I haven't seen a lot of them, to be honest, um, of all the players. But from the national tournament, you know, they're very handy cricketers. I think everyone's, so a lot of them are still playing club cricket at a good standard. So um, they'll be ready to go. And uh, if it's anything to go by from the national tournament, um, we've got a pretty good side, but we know the Aussies will will bring their, their best as well. So it's going to be a good series. Is it strong over 40s cricket? Well, I think um, it's hard to say. I mean, it's the first year this concept has happened and it's um, it's sort of taken off. I know since the tournament, a lot of chats gone on from players or people that I've um, spoken to and asked about what it was like. And so the interest is going to definitely grow. Um, there's a lot of guys who sort of watched with interest from the sidelines this year, but next year I feel like they're going to put their hand out. So it's only going to get bigger. The only problem is we're all in our 40s. We've got young families who are just trying to find the time to fit it all in. So does does it take on more of a social nature or are the competitive juices still there? Oh, there's a balance. There's definitely a social nature. But the, when you're on the field, the competitive juices are there. And um, for some guys, it's, uh, I, mean, I guess there's still a fern on your head, so you, you want to perform for your country. And when you take on the old foe, um, we, we know that they always come pretty hard. And, and we always have good battles with Australia, or New Zealand teams do, so that's really no different. Are you surprised that, the, that there seems to be just a constant explosion in cricket, particularly now in the short form? Yeah, um, you know, the franchise cricket internationally um, certainly has taken off, and um, I think it's given the game certainly legs, certainly some of the players are making some good coin. But if you look at it from a, a whole world point of view at any level, I think there's a lot of good cricket going on. There's a kindred cricket that goes on in New Zealand now. There's some guys that have finished club cricket, but they still want to play a little bit. So there's just so much going on that you, you don't see. Um, it's not on TV that's sort of keeping the game alive. And, um, and I've just been at my son and daughter's cricket games this morning, and there's plenty of kids out there hitting the ball. So it's a sport that's still there. Um, but there's just so they're competing with so many other sports these days that it, um, the 2020 game has revitalised it and given these young kids something to enjoy. Being at your kids' cricket matches... Who are their stars now? Do they have stars, global stars, rather than just black cap stars or, or white fern stars? Well, I think um, I think from uh, from my kids' point of view, it's certainly the locals. They they love the you know, the Kane Williamsons, and yeah. my daughter's a big fan of the Kerr sisters, and um, so it is the local ones that they look up to. But you see so much cricket now; they can name pretty much most of the international players um, in the world. So. It's, and they look up to everyone, but it's the New Zealand players that they, they get to meet from time to time as well at games. So that side of it's brilliant. The accessibility of the players in New Zealand um, is, is a wonderful um, experience for our kids, and they love it. Hey, just talk to me about these two grounds that are being played. I've never, I, To be honest, I've never heard of the Hagley Nursery Ground, and, of course, there's the over at Rangiora. What are they like as pitchers, man? Well, I haven't played on the, the nursery ground. I've seen it from the back of the nets. It's just out the back of Hagley. It's a, um, it's a lovely-looking little oval, and it has been used for various games, so it'll be good to get out there and see what it's like. But I'm, I suspect with the groundsmen uh, at Hagley, they probably look after the same wicket and uh, will do a fantastic job because Hagley's one of the best wickets in New Zealand, I, I believe. And wow. 
Um, so that should be fine. And main power, Rangiora has always been a good wicket, and, and you want good wickets for, for white ball cricket. So um, Canterbury is pretty good at producing those. All right, mate. Well, thanks for sharing some time. I know you're travelling wherever you're travelling. It's probably to the, uh, maybe probably a solid practice, right? Yeah, we're heading down. Um, yeah, heading down today. Actually, we're going to catch a flight at two o'clock. So just uh, do this and then head down there, and um, and then we, we kick off tomorrow. So I know that the um, the organizer for our team he wanted me to mention that if anyone's interested, go onto Facebook and look up New Zealand over 40s cricket, and um, and you can watch it live streamed or even just follow it in terms of the scorebook. I will follow that up with the actual address in just a moment because that's what I was going to do. So I'll I'll help you out there and do help you do your job, mate. Have fun. Have fun. It will be. Hopefully the body hangs in there. <laughs> You'll be right, buddy. Hamish Marshall in the New Zealand over 40s cricket side. So that address, by the way, is facebook.com forward slash NZ over 40s, F, uh, which is four zero and S, NZ over 40s cricket. Okay, it's going to be live streamed and live scored. That's, that's pretty good, right? Ex-test players getting out there at over 40 and still, still rolling the arm over, still whacking the ball around. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I believe New Zealand over 50s are in action very soon, MacIver. I was just curious to know whether you were going to dust off some pair of whites. I've, I've never, ever played cricket in my life. I've played social cricket. I'm rubbish. And so I'm, I'm, I'm completely aware of what I'm good at, and one of those things is not cricket. Yeah, but you'd be, you'd be good at the on-field banter. <laughs> oh, actually, I'd, yeah, I'd rip a few. I'd rip a few, eh? I reckon I could rip a few. Anyway, it's 12.38. The good oil's coming your way at midday. We're going to talk to Clayton before that. But race one from Invercargill is not too far away. Time to go about 12.42. What I found fascinating was the ability to, A, control the horse, but also how res- quickly responsive they were and, and how exhilarating it is because they're not small animals, are they, when, no. they, when they're dragging the sulky around? 500-odd kilos there, they're dragging you around. I love the standing starts. When they take off from a standing start, oh. and you tell me you drive your Maserati, you think that's pretty good at the traffic lights. Yeah, these, things are, these things are better than a Mercedes. Do I look, like Michael, do I look like Michael Guerin? Oh, that's no. driving it, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Maserati would be all right. They've got, they've got this thing called an MCL2, MLC2. Two door, a little two door coupe. It's a V six. Oh, we get we're getting off track here. So you have driven. Uh, how do you go? Um, I know. Oh, right? Just track work. Just track work. Yeah, I wouldn't let me. I did do one of those celebrity races at Alex Park one mm-hmm. night. Went around with David Butcher. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we we're just setting it up for the punt next start. Could have won. Could have won <laughs> if you let it see go. I, say, I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be confident in the standing side. I'd be. I'd be okay. With um, you know, we, I think we did the we called do you call it a roll, mobile start? Mobile start. I was going to say a rolling start. It was what is what you call it in uh, motorsport. But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. So, uh, Kyle Mills and Steve McKee coming us. And what else does the the good oil uh, offer us today? Well, we got a thousand dollars to uh, bet with for the Pundas Club. Well, twenty lucky people in the Pundas Club. Yeah. So you can text in that. You opened an account, didn't you? I think no. I talked you into opening the account yeah, one nah. day. Yeah, no, nah. you went in the back, rocked my heart, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, no. Nah. One day it was yeah, scratched. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to collect. Yeah. So. Uh, and uh, do you? Yep. Uh, what, what's the engagement like? People, I mean, I know people love the good oil, right? They get right deep into it, right? Oh yeah, we we got a loyal base of uh, listeners, and that yeah. we um, have a sweepstake race later on in the afternoon. And all you have to do is text your name and your suburb in and the code word, and we choose people out. They draw a horse, yeah. And usually we'll get our unsuspecting guest to call the race. Yeah. Shall we call Mills today? Call. You're going to get to call a race. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that that's tough. It is. There's a real skill. I mean, I've I've known uh, George Simon for years, right? And when I remember when he first started calling, he, you know, I think you've got to be a natural, just simply gifted to do that. 
Yeah, oh, it's an art. It's a real art. You ever so, done it? Yeah, yeah, I've done oh, a, oh, okay. a trial meeting. Thirty oh. trials called one day. Oh, okay. Bat. So you're okay, right? Yeah, you're, you're, you're the well, boss. You're the boss, right? I think George sent me up to Rokaka one day to make him look good. How is the state of the game, man? How is the state of the game? State of the game? Well, you want, how no, long no, you got? How long you got? Oh, we got three or four minutes. I'm, I'm keen to. I'm um, keen to understand. There's a few things that I don't like that is happening. Um, the stake money going up at uh, Ellerslie when Ellerslie gets up and running with the uh, Strathaird track. Actually, talk to me about that because I drive past that most days and I wondered whether the, whether they'd sold some land to build houses. Uh, but well, yeah, the hill has gone. Oh, the hill's gone. The hill's gone. So are you saying that's now housing? That'll be housing. Yeah. You don't look too so happy about that. Oh, look, it's progress. You need I money, mean, right? You got to. You, you, you know, the business still needs cash, right? At the end of the day, if we get it right, the yep. money will go into stakes, and that means people like you and me can get, get shares and horses and get a decent click. When the stake money, we'll be racing at Ellerslie in a couple of years and every second week, which is how it should be. The fact that the fact that Auckland now owns Pukekohe too, as well, which you know ups, upsets me somewhat. Because of what has happened to Pukekohe, not being a racetrack anymore, <sighs> but it, no, it's okay. That's, I, I, we move on from these things. As a facility, how big will that be as a training facility going forward? Well, that's going to be huge. Um, I'd heard three hundred stables. Is that is that it sound a bit too many? For three hundred horses. Yeah, well, I don't yeah, know. They've you... still got Byerley Park out there, which is a very good training mm. centre. So, but she's a tough game, Stephen. Yeah. Um, you know, we're losing a few of the young ones. A lot of them going to Australia. Stake money's way out of proportion. We're talking jockeys here. Trainers. Trainers as well. Yeah. That's the big one, right? That is. Um, Andrew Forsman's just setting up a satellite stable in Australia. Trent Basutton's gone. Uh, Emily, David Brown are gone. So. Is it, and is it simply driven by lack of stake money, that they, they, they cannot make enough in the game here to make it feasible and sustainable? Yep, yeah, it comes down to that, yeah. If you have a good horse, you've got to go to Australia anyway. So you go to Australia, you're on their territory, and you've got to beat their best horses. So you've got to travel. You've got to have a horse that can travel, settle in. Yeah. Uh, we've got Pierre over there today. Um, they won the 2000 Guineas, yep. um, big three-year-old race we have down in Christchurch a couple weeks. So it'd be great to see him measure up. <laughs> Someone's already asked, can you give us the code word for the Punters Club, please? Is it too early to give that code out? Yeah, sorry, sorry. You don't have it? You no, do. no. It's not a lock and key. You're not going to give it out? Oh, well, they just want to know the code. So you can't give them, you can't even before midday or one o'clock give them the code word. Is no, that, is, is Sanjay's that, got that. It's oh, under lock and key. Sanjay, mate, you'll never get out of Sanjay. No, you'll, you'll never pass it on. get it out of Sanjay. You'll pass it on. Oh, all right. Um, so the other part that I'm intrigued in because we have such a rich history is breeding. Yes, yeah. Where do we, where's that sitting now as far as the game is concerned? We talk about the, the horse racing game. Well, you know, it's, it's a sort of... You know, I think about the late Sir Patrick, right? I think yeah. about the late Sir Patrick Hogan. I'm a Waikato boy, so he was, in, in my time there, he was the man, and he could, they could breed horses, right? Oh. They could breed horses. Are we even are we near that still? Yes, oh, yeah. yeah that's no, that, we'll, that's we'll, what I'm trying to understand. Yeah, yeah no, Sir Patrick, uh, he set the standard, lifted the bar, and everybody's followed. Waikato Stud, now leading vendor for the last five or six years. But all the other studs, like Ritual Stud, uh, Johnny Thompson down there at Matamata, he's got Prasir, Satono, Aladdin, Vatamos, Shocking. All his sides are winning races on both sides of the Tasman, and that's what you want. So, of course, the Australians and the Asians come over, and they buy our best stock. So that... Even though it's great for the industry, we're losing the best horses to race here, which, you know, back in the day, you look at some of those old videos of March Legend and Balmerino and oh, Grey Way, every horse in that race was a Group 1 winner. And now, you know, it's not at that level. So it's a catch-22. Is that the other thing that's annoying you still? 
What's that, that we're losing good stock off, offshore? Well, it is, but we've still got good horses going around here. And last week, Stephen, um, sharp and smart on the uh, Herbie Dyke Stakes, sat four and five wide the trip, uh, knuckled down and won, beat the best staying horses in the land. So, Hey, I read the other day Michael Walker's uh, called it quits uh, because yep. of a bad fall. How, how great a loss is that to the industry? Be honest. He was a hell of a talented, hell of a talented jockey. He's a hell of a talented jockey, but he gee, caught more falls than anybody would he be expected to. And, and I think it was the innocuous falls that did the most damage. Yeah. So he's pulled pin, but he's done commentary in Melbourne um, pre-start. You know, like uh, we have here with Lethanus now yeah. doing it, yeah. and he is really, really good. Oh wow! So so he he will so long as that he can get through what he's dealing with. He talks about a lot of uh, head knock headaches. And, yeah, and and just sort of remembering things. Oh, he had a horrific pig hunting accident years ago out in the bush out the back of Rotorua. That's right. What actually happened there? Oh, he went over a cliff. Oh, okay. And um, <laughs> says says Clado casually, you just went over a cliff. But yeah, that that knocked him. You know, he's a he's a confident young apprentice mm. as he came through, and you need that little bit of swagger. Yeah, you know, a little bit of arrogance. Yeah. Not too much. So yeah. it's a fine line and. It's a tough game. You see plenty of jockeys come and go. And hey, uh, answer me this question: uh, with with the flooding that we've had around the country, have any stables any uh, been affected around the place at all? I, I that haven't. That you are aware of. I, I not that I'm a, <clears throat> excuse me, not that I'm aware of. But Hastings took a big hit, and it's a big horse racing colony down there. So I heard reports during the week of horses being swept out to sea. And oh god, you know we saw that poor horse on the roof. Um, it didn't survive that poor horse. On no, the roof, which is horrible, right? Yeah. It, so so the, the the community has been affected. The racing community has been affected. The racing community has been affected, and I and I can tell you, I saw um, a couple of pictures on Facebook. Jessica Brosnan, one of the trainers at Mudder Mudder, she's loaded up with swap contracting. They're big sponsors of yeah. racing, and they're sending down water, hay, bales, uh, anything you know to help out the um, industry down there. So yeah, and I, and I think that's the thing people tend to forget that there are animals involved, around, not just horses, but there are genuine family animals and pets around the places that may may not be around, and people need. Help so mate, that's good. Uh, so Clayton and the good oil team, not too far away. Sanjay, wherever he is, has the code word for the punters club, but he's not giving it out right now. So you're all stuffed until after one o'clock. Was that, was that Reese looking for the early run? Uh, I don't know who. No, <laughs> it, was, it is an unnamed number. I haven't seen it before, nor nor would I expect to have seen it before. But there you go, Clayton. Have some fun. Uh, your Warriors, I think, will have a. A strongish season. I think I like the way this coach is talking. Yep. Keep keeping it simple, but just don't get in the way of my dogs because they look really good. So what was the three wins last year? Hey, 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 hey. You might get another one this year with the Dolphins in there. <laughs> Personally, I think we need less teams, not more. You're off to the drifting, chance. Uh, uh, not today, tomorrow. There tomorrow. is drifting today, but uh, round two of D1NZ. Thank you for even asking that, Clatter. My word. Gonna get, I'm going to get slideways tomorrow. Oh, I, I actually <laughs> look at buying a ticket and taking my boy out tomorrow because he do loves it. that sort of stuff. Do I don't have any freebies to give away. I'm sorry. No, no, but nice. get in early cause, and do it online because it normally sells out Mount Smart, but it's a cracker Cracker of a track. Oh, Claudia, you're even more my favourite now. Uh, that's us done for the Saturday session. Stephen McIver, Big Ben Francis. Big ups to you, my friend. Thanks for having me in. Have a wonderful, wonderful Saturday wherever you are. And remember, your neighbours, if you're in one of those areas, make sure that you're all okay. See you, see you next time. Claudia and the good old team coming up next. <laughs>